Blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the killing monsters and taking their stuff to my overly large and complicated underground prison, I mean dungeon, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Uh, hello, hello. I'm doing good, sir. I am doing... Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you nailed it after you, you, you flubbed the first take because you couldn't find it. Well, I could, it could... Okay, we're doing things out of order, like dogs and cats living together. You I can't know, do no, this No, no, no. If you were... If you were you're a professional, sir. You've been doing this for 117 fracking episodes. Like, get it together. Get yeah, your shit together, Edwards. It's been one, two, three, and today it's two, one, three, and that's just too much for my tiny get, brain at the end of a Wednesday. Get your shit together, Look, Edwards. I don't even know what or you're out of here. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm going to allow that. Wait, I'm supposed to talk to you with unrelenting positivity now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, positive podcast, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, I know that you'll get it together next time. I have the utmost faith in you and your intellectual capabilities. Oh, I love you too, buddy. There's no chance of that happening, but I do appreciate that, that those words of encouragement. Hey, we have a guest. Yes. Am I supposed to say it's Ray? Yeah, that's, that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> I believe that was the. I mean, I just I just walked in and handed you the platter, and all you needed to do was take the lid off and eat. But no, you just looked at it. You just, what is this? What, what is, what is it? Okay, this. well, since we're going with the food analogy, uh, I, I'm I'm trying out this intermittent fasting thing. So we are outside of my eating window. So of course I didn't open it up, sir. <laughs> I feel like that's what my family's gonna do with my teenager. We're just gonna set up a little feeding window and just like shovel food through it for for an hour a day. It, it's supposed to be eight, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> Ray Ray Greenlee, uh, book narrator extraordinaire. <laughs> he's here and he's awesome, and I love him almost as much as I love you, Jonathan. That's fair. That's fair. I'll allow that because I love Ray just as much as I love you too. Uh, thank you, Robert <laughs> and Jonathan. I love you guys too. This is great. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, as usual, before we kick off with Ray, let's go ahead and say thank you to all our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the servers humming in this odd conflagration. Is that a thing, right? That's a word, right? Sure. Uh, you know, coming out of your mouth, Jonathan, I am sure it's a word. Hold on. Now I need to check because I don't want to be that guy. Well, of course you don't, Jonathan. You're a good person. <laughs> uh, nailed it. It is conflagration. Do you know what a conflagration is, by the way? No. It's an extensive fire, which destroys a great deal of land or property. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> which is exactly what I feel like every time we do this show. And yet somehow at the end of the day, it all does come together in, in, in a beautiful way. It's because of you and your talent, Jonathan. No, I don't think so. I, I would say it's more about you and your editing because, man, I'm a hot mess most Monday nights. No comment. I'll plead the fifth on that one. So anyway, Jonathan, happy National Mule Day. A mule is a hybrid like between mule, a, mule the animal or yes, mule the drink. Yes, it's a cross between a male donkey and a female horse, and has the best of both worlds. Did you know? Does it always have to be that mix? Do you get something? Yes, different if, 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 it's, if the it's the other way, way it's uh, yeah. If it's the other way, it's something else. Holy <laughs> crap! Really? Yeah, yeah. True story. The genetics work different based on gender. Yeah. Oh man, I never knew that. Really? What? So what? What do you get the other way? Uh, hold on. I will. Well, luckily, I have uh, a a hinny. How do you uh, spell that? H-I-N-N-Y. 
Here, I will send you the Wikipedia. A cross link. between a, a horse and donkey, I guess. <gasps> they made a striped one, and he's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at the Wikipedia article. Do you see him? He's got stripes and donkey ears, and he's gorgeous. Oh, yes. I would name him Franklin. Yes, John. Doesn't he look like a Franklin? Like, yeah. legitimately. Well, on that note, George Washington played a significant role in the development of the mule population in America. He recognized its value as a sturdy animal in agriculture and became the first American breeder. So there yeah, you go. That's all wonderful. But, uh, you know, have you seen the striped hinny? <laughs> <laughs> Are you with me there? Jonathan, it's not National Hinny Day. It's National Mule Day. We're supposed to celebrate the mule today. Yeah, yep, good on him. High fives all around. Have you seen the striped hinny? <laughs> Anyway, go to a farm, learn about it, use that hashtag, National Mule Day. I wonder if there's National Henny Day. National Henny Day. They're smaller in stature, shorter ears, stronger legs, and a thicker mane than a mule. Holy crap, I'm going to fall down a YouTube slash Wikipedia hole tonight. I am not sleeping. I need to know more about this. How does that work? Like, that's amazing. <laughs> Why do the genetics work differently when you go one way or the other way? Different All right, chromosomes. Ray, so tell you what, why don't you and I, we, uh, we go out, but it's ha- like have ourselves a smoke, and Jonathan could just rant into the microphone how his mind's blown for like the next 15 minutes, and we'll this come is, back and pick this, this up like in a minute. This is like legitimately changing I'm, the way I look at science right now. I mean, I, hennies are great. I just feel bad for the mules out there who are not getting the spotlight they should Yeah, well, be. maybe they should work on getting stripes, because this striped one, have you seen the striped one? With the striped legs? No, he says, oh my God, he's called a zonkey. <laughs> That's a zebra donkey, man. You're, you're somewhere else right now. Oh, but he's beautiful. <laughs> I'm sending this in the, hold on. Where's my Discord window? You need this in your life. Uh, what, podcast talk? I'm putting in podcast talk. Just click Jesus, on Jonathan, click on is that a link? link? Oh, wow. Click on the link. Yeah, that's a zonkey, man. Tell me he doesn't look like a Franklin. Yeah, but that's not a henny, man. That's not a henny. No, he's not a henny, but he came up on the henny search, and now, now I'm just going to look at half horses all night. <laughs> he's cute. Oh, yeah. He's cute. Those ears, God. those ears are huge. Look at that. I would trade my children for one. <laughs> he's beautiful. All right, so as we meet Jonathan, so he There's can... There's no way my HOA is going to allow that, by the way. Just, just like awe. zero. Like of horse genetics. Zero. Well, maybe if they saw it, Jonathan, if they saw it first, they would also be be overwhelmed by the cuteness. But they're old and crusty and they hate everything. So, no, I don't think they would. Maybe it would God. melt their Damn it. cold Texan hearts so that they could actually learn to, to... Jonathan, you know what you need to do? You need to take back over your HOA again just so you can get this in your life. You already oh, I'm right on the edge of having to, man. Like, they keep making stupid mistakes, but I don't want to do it again because I'm going to just spend three years getting yelled at and I already get enough of that at home. <laughs> but Jonathan, think about it. You could get yourself a henny or a Zonkey. Dear God, there's something called a Zorse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It seems like um, that, that's, that's... This is the best day ever. I don't know. It seems like we go too far down that line and suddenly we're tearing open holes in reality or something like that. Like the the equine. This is awfully close. And then our Jonathan, Jonathan, new Ray is our guest. Just pull through. <laughs> Ray is our guest, not the <laughs> horse hybrid. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what, Robert. You need to, for a future episode, find a board gaming biologist that can tell me about Zorses, Zonkeys, Hennies, and just like the whole gambit of horse offspring. Like this is amazing. And there's there's your episode title. 
That's a lot of hinnies. The whole gamut of horse genealogy? I don't know. <laughs> no, oh zon- my zon- God. zonkeys, hinnies, and. Uh, <laughs> Oh, the little he, the, the hinny. It's like he's he's like a little woolly donkey. Okay, this okay, one looks okay, like okay. he's almost like the alpaca in, to the llama. Okay, so Ray, nominally you're here because you have a new book out that you narrated. So uh, yeah, are there donkeys in the book? There, not that I've heard so far, are not. But this is bullshit. Um, moving on. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but Jonathan, hear me out. Uh, the book. I'm minimizing the window. I'm minimizing the window that minimizes the distraction, but I'm coming back to it. I'm coming back to it tonight. We'll circle around to that. The book uh, that I uh, narrated recently, uh, it was released uh, a couple months ago, The Kobold Guide to Game Mastering, which is about playing and running role-playing games in which you can have any animal you want because you are creating the whole thing. So you may have your zonkeys and your hinnies in your role-playing game. That you game master oh God. after listening to the Kobold Guide to Game Mastering that I narrated and is on Audible. So I was telling Ray before we uh, before we got started, the Kobold Guides have been around for a really long time. I got my first one back when I owned the shop, like really early in the shop too. So I mean, we're talking like eight or nine years at this point. And so I, I sat down to listen to this and I expected it to just be kind of old. <laughs> and um, no, no, this book was written in 2017. Like, you know, a lot of the the modern like game creators are, are in it. And it, it really surprised me. So, and, and they were, they were given kind of the, uh, the, the advice to jour that's been going around now, like X cards and listening to your players and making it cinematic. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this, this was, this was not what I expected. It was, it was, it was, it was a good listen. I had fun. Yeah. I'm happy to be able to be working with Kobold press to work on these books because it it's inspiring to me. Like I, a part of my process is I prep the book, which is I you know read it ahead of time, uh, try to note any things that I want to look up pronunciations for. And I have a hard time prepping these because as I'm reading them, my mind keeps like grabbing the ideas that are come up and wandering. It's like, oh, wait, how can I put that into the game that I'm going to do? Um, so I keep on getting distracted while I'm reading it because I'm getting ideas while I'm reading the book that I could put into um the role-playing games, because there's a lot of great ideas. Oh, that's, a, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. And the, the game mastering book is um, like they break it up into all different sections um, about players and planning the game and playing the game. And then in between sessions, it's really well organized and a lot of different essays from a lot of different voices covering just so many different topics. Working on this book inspired me to, um, to jump, like to step up and, uh, and run a game for my group. Uh, which was sort of looking for something to to fill some space while we were taking a break from uh, the game that we'd been doing before. It's really uh, a lot of great information. You know, I had DM'd before. This isn't my first time DMing, um, but it had been several years ago. I really did, like, I sort of did what kind of you're not supposed to do, which is I came up with this story in my mind that the players were going to go through, and then if the players tried to deviate off of that, I was like, uh, don't know what to do. Let's go back over this way and sort of railroaded my players into the way I wanted them to go. And that's really one of the, one of the best things that I got from it is being able to be more adaptive, be more adaptive as a, a game master. Um, the nice part is that, um, that I get to, to go deep into it. And then, uh, Kobold press, appreciates uh, what I did enough that they're having me do more of their books. I mean, I had done 
before, a Kobold Guide to World Building, um, several years ago. Uh, and I'm currently right now working on Kobold Guide to Plots and Campaigns, which I'm running the same problem with. I'm reading it and I'm working on the chapter, just trying to get through it. And my mind just wanders off. It's like, oh, how could I use this in the game that I'm running right now? And then, wait, no, no, I need to read this so that I can do my work. Um, but I keep on uh, coming up with ideas for my my game in my head. And uh, the one I'm working on now, Plots and Campaigns, hopefully will release early next month. And uh, you can find all of those on Audible. Very cool. Yeah, I'm just cruising through all the Cobalt Press stuff now. And like, shout out to Cobalt Press. They're putting out some really good stuff. Also, whoever's doing their merch, uh, dope. I'm going to drop a little link on you, a little hotness right there. You know, my birthday's coming, just saying, just dropping that in there. Uh, that is about the funniest shirt I've ever seen in my life. And it totally makes me happy on like five different ways. <laughs> all the swabbled. <laughs> that you is freaking amazing. Bro. That is freaking amazing. Bro, do you even lift? <laughs> that is amazing. So, yeah. And I'm also looking at the other titles that they have available on their website in addition to their Audible books. Like, there's some really good, solid titles here. I got in on their Midgard Kickstarter a long time ago, so I have their their fifth edition Heroes Handbook. And I was just uh, looking at that on the store on their store, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Heroes Handbook's fun. It's got a whole bunch of cleric domains for a lot of goofy different cleric domains. My favorite one is beer. You can become a priest of beer. <laughs> oh, which check. <laughs> <laughs> just describe like my twenties. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, they they got a lot of good stuff in there. Like I I, I like their setting. Um, they have some really nice art here too. I'm looking at their covers. Like uh, let me just say, Last Gasp. That's talking to me. That's good stuff. Yeah, Midgard. The setting. It's it is the Norse Midgard. So the it's a flat world encircled by the world serpent that's eating its own tail until it consumes the world. I know I have complained in the past that uh, some games you know or a lot of role playing games are just based off of medieval England and Norse mythology and Greek. And this one at least bucks the trend a little bit because they do have Norse, but also the the three major settings are based off of Eastern Europe, Norse, and Egypt, actually. So that oh, is Oh, that's fun. cool. Yeah. Yeah, it would be cool to um, to dive into some of those, but I still haven't come up with a good way, I think, to um, to bring a RPG book to, uh, to audio. Uh, too many tables <laughs> that uh, would be too hard to uh, communicate. You have an Amazon credit. I just don't, I just I went to Audible and look at Cobalt Guide to World Building, and there's Ray Greenlee's. You got a hyperlink and everything. Oh yeah, it's got everything in here. Oh man, that's cool. I didn't know you could do that by a narrator. Oh, that's really super dope. I've never actually been to the Audible website. Everything is just <laughs> there. You go. <laughs> yeah, another thing you'll see there, if I, if I can uh, take another self indulgent moment, is another book I finished up this year is another book in the Great Martian War series, Gathering Storm, which expands the uh, scope uh, off of uh, the war in the United States and uh, covers some. I need to return to that series. I, I, you know, it's like I really enjoy it, and I feel like it's the type of thing that you'd like. I mean, I guess uh, I like the one that I read, the the first one that we did for the the episode. God. Literally years ago now, which is still weird to say. It's out been loud. a while, yeah. Um, they're just like really fun uh, historical science fiction alternate reality of the uh, Martians uh, from H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds coming back and invading, and you have um, lots of great historical characters like Winston Churchill and Teddy Roosevelt that are dealing with the Martian invasion, and uh, and this one, um, like the characters are. There's Australian characters and British characters and German characters. So I got to do 
is very challenging. A lot of dialects. It took me a long time to record this book. There's so many dialects and so many characters. Ray, let me ask you a mm-hmm. question. I've actually got two. One of them is... A- Tell me it's about the right kind of wrong because that's where my... <laughs> I, I just found that. It's inc- one's an incredible non sequitur. Okay. I think I used that correctly. The first... You were stressing about Australian stuff before because one of the, the spinoff books w- took place in Australia, if I remember correctly. And I sent you the link to Australian Star Wars. Did that help? <laughs> it's it's, it's, <laughs> always, it's always good to have reference material. So interestingly, if you want to do the audiobook, you're not supposed to – you don't want to be too over the top with your dialect. Um, but when I'm recording, like I always feel like I'm putting more dialect into it than – I feel like it comes through when I'm listening to it later. So having that sort of over-the-top Australian, the pushing probably New Zealand <laughs> dialect, is not um, is not the worst thing to sort of like hit those points of the dialect that, uh, that would be nice to come through. I would say it is useful. It's just I don't necessarily want to sound like that <laughs> when I'm doing it. <laughs> but it's nice as a reference material so that I can make sure I'm the right track, um, especially as I'm switching between all these different characters uh, with all these different like British uh, and Australian uh, accents that um, being able to to have something like that to recenter myself on the line I need to be for this particular character is useful. My second thing, and this is going back to something I talked about in the last episode when I learned about jugglers. Oh do you do you have Fago soda where you're at? Oh yes. Um, oh, I got a text about that. I didn't, finish, Ray. Finish. I didn't. Um, I I don't I don't immediately recognize it. The the name I haven't seen it that I that it jumps out at me. Um, we do have like several nice local uh, soda companies uh, in our Philly area. But the Fago, I don't recognize. Fanta, I recognize. I have, I have Intel. I have Intel, fellas. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hold on. Uh, here it is. Here it is. All right. So, Adam Stevenson, uh, actually, oddly enough, one of the creators of one of the games I played uh, this week, uh, Sideshow Swap. Uh, he and I were were texting, and he says Fago is from Detroit, as are ICP. Fago Red Pop and Rock and Rye are world class world class regional soft drinks. So highly regional, apparently. And, and, and like that got me to thinking, uh, Robert, you and I had RC Cola. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard of RC Cola, Ray? Yes, I have heard of RC Cola. So maybe that, that wasn't is as regional as I thought. <laughs> what about Hot Daddy Sauce? Because apparently that's a single dad romance book that I found because it was linked in your Right Kind of Wrong book. And now I'm going down this weird rabbit hole on Amazon. Apparently, the hot daddy hot daddy sauce is like a whole series. Uh, I suppose is that what from the author? Uh, it's from a single dad romance book. It was by Angel Devlin and Tracy Lorraine. Oh yeah, I don't. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, the right kind of wrong is my one um, foray into the romance genre. Uh, that was a uh, a dual narration. So like I narrated the. <laughs> male perspective parts and then another female narrator narrated the female perspective parts and then we sort of uh, edit the chapters together so that <clears throat> that's cool it goes from one to the other but but did it have passages like and I quote here I don't want you to think this is me I wouldn't ever want to take credit for somebody else's work it's getting hot around here chilly hot Leah my next door neighbor Jensen is a chef and a successful businessman he's also a single daddy to the cutest six-year-old girl 
I'm only here as long as it takes to get my parents' old house ready for sale. Then it's time for me to make a fresh start away from the tragic events of late. Trouble is, now I've had a taste of his hot daddy sauce and I want more. That is the book I did. Um... Just keeps, is the gift that keeps on giving like I don't even have to subscribe this is part of the free Amazon you too can have this enjoyment Ray <laughs> let's let's be honest though it's the book you want to do to him <laughs> 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 I narrate the hell out of this <laughs> it sounds like that'd be a lot of fun hot daddy <laughs> raygreenleyvoiceover.com I've got a form on there contact me and I will be happy to discuss narrating your, um, we need to have these guys on the show. Tracy Lorraine and Angel Devlin. Make it happen, Robert. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of romance out there. That's a big that's a big genre. Um, I, I and, see uh, that. Like I'm, I'm this rabbit hole I've fallen into from the right kind of wrong is is really amazing. Also, that was unabridged. All right, we are 23 minutes into recording and we've not moved on to off the show. <laughs> yeah, but now we have a brand new show title, Hot Daddy Sauce. Like, there what more do you need in life, Robert? <laughs> Might be able to cut some of that. Still, <laughs> Ray, our listeners oh will be offended. God. That was all comedy gold. I'm so, crying yeah, please, right now. <laughs> please uh, go check out Kobold Guide to Game Mastering. Look forward to Kobold uh, Guide to Plots and Campaigns, uh, and check out my other audiobooks on Audible. I would be happy to um, have you listen to them. Also, thanks to Adam for the uh, uh, soft drink knowledge. All right, and shout out to Cobalt Press. Um, you guys are making dope stuff, and you have an awesome T-shirt that I really want in my life. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm getting a lot getting a lot out of being able to um, to narrate those books. It's uh, it's it's like a, a double plus good for me because uh, not only do I enjoy it, but I'm learning stuff, um, and I'm getting to work with some the material from some. Did you really just 1984 slang us? Did you just slam that down from 1984? Double plus good. <laughs> I duck speak double plus good. <laughs> oh, great. Zonkey's in the sky. I mean, we're, we're in the darkest <laughs> timeline, right? But come on, you just man. Didn't even see that coming, did you? Just slide that right in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the zonkeys. Right, come on, off the shelf. Off the shelf. We're 25 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got a week, gentlemen. If, if we spend a week recording, I don't, I, I can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to the one word answer things. That will speak I can't right. even find the show notes. There's so many pages with zonkeys and romance books open on my computer right now. I've highlighted your stuff. Just move on, Jonathan. Move on. I'm Off frantically closing zonkeys. Okay, okay. Hold on. Okay, okay, okay. I'm taking over. I'm taking over. No, no, You're, no. I found no, it. no. I found you it. are. I'm good. I'm as in, the I'm chief in, medical the officer of the starship, the I declare you unfit for command, Captain. <laughs> I am. Go to your. You are confined <laughs> to your quarters. <laughs> is, is, is an objection up proper here next <laughs> is our off the shelf segment this is the segment where we take everything off of our shelves and put them into our hearts no zonkies here this is a zonkey free zone no and way, hot man. daddy sauce there's nothing but zonkies in my heart right now <laughs> off the show so, hey on to ray, what, what do you want to start with into our hearts yeah what do you want to start with ray <laughs> let's start <laughs> with Video games. <laughs> Let's start with video games. Let's start with video games. <laughs> Bottom up. What have you been playing, Ray? Oh so, my God. Um, not a whole lot. 
<laughs> I have been Jesus playing uh, some more. <laughs> I've been playing some more Mass Effect Two, but not enough to to really get into it. Um, and uh, it's been having a lot of fun uh, with that. Really enjoying it. Um, but a lot of things competing for my time. Uh, what I want to talk about today is um, Towerfall, uh, which is one that I picked up. Uh, kind of on impulse uh, off of the uh, Switch uh, Nintendo uh, eShop when it was on sale. I think it's normally 20 bucks, but they had it on sale for like four bucks. And I had just bought like a full priced game for one of my kids who wanted it. So I got like a whole bunch off because of the Nintendo coins. I got it for like a dollar or something. And oh, this nice. has to be one of the most fun like arena based couch co op games out there. It's just so great. What it is is like. Um, Everyone is, it is like, like a little. No, it's a two D, like a uh, almost platformer type thing. Oh yeah, I see, I see, I see. And and everybody's an archer, and it's silly simple controls. You move yourself around. You got a jump button. You got a shoot button. Um, and then there's like a, a dodge button you can have too. But I always forget to do that. And it's just like this little one screen arena where you can drop through the bottom and come back out the top. You're just trying to be kill kill everybody else, and so you can shoot them with arrows. You can, or you can jump on their heads to to take them out. And it's super fast. It's super chaotic, and it's just a ton of fun. Especially if you can, um, you know, you get some people on the couch with you. There is like a, a single player thing you can do, and there's a co op mode you can do. And the co op mode is very fun and clever too. But the real meat of this thing is the the free for all battle where everyone's just jumping around, arrows are flying everywhere, people are getting pinned to walls and Oh, this looks great. People jumping their hands. And it's it is it's a ton of fun. Like we can get up to six players on the Switch. It's just chaotic uh mess that is <clears throat> that is just everyone's just laughing and the ridiculousness of what happens. Um This looks super fun. This looks awesome. I'm looking through their website right now. But yeah, if you if you can get you know people on the couch with you, just <clears throat> sit down and and to play this game. Especially if you can get like a decent number, it's gonna be fun two players. But and they have just so many fun little touches. These power ups you get. There's a whole bunch of um, mods you can do to change the game. Everything from like everybody starts with extra arrows, or uh, everybody starts with a special arrow. To everybody has giant heads. To like shifting the screen so that in the Corners of the screen are in the middle, and so you go through the side, you come out the other side, and it's just so many different things you can do. It's a lot of fun, a bunch of different levels, and um, definitely worth a check out if you're looking for a quick and fun, a quick and fun couch co-op, you know, arena battle game. We've been having a lot of fun with Towerfall here. That's my video games. Uh, well, Jonathan, the only game I've played, you also have on your list. Uh, I have been playing the hell out of Metroid Dread. Oh my god, that, that game is just abusive. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I've uh, never I've never enjoyed getting my ass kicked so handily in my entire life. I I'm having so much fun with that game, but god, so hard. It is Nintendo hard. Like it is old school hard. Dude, it's like Battletoads hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 actually almost done. I think I've got two bosses left. And I'm I'm I have all of the power ups I can get if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that, but I'm I'm pretty far into it. I am not far into it. I just picked it up this weekend, and I uh, I mean like I'm intimidated. I'm a little scared, but I'm really digging the hell out of it. It's beautiful too. It really looks good, and man, it yeah, plays so I, slick. It feels so I, good I to control. I spent three days trying to kill a boss before I figured out what I was doing wrong. 
My, my it, only complaint is that like some of the controls are a little funky with like it feels like a little bit of a finger puzzle. Like it's not an intuitive control scheme. Yeah. No, once, I see once that. you get used to it, it, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that there's so many other action games that do things one way. And this one just has things mapped a little bit different. It's still fun. Like parkouring with Samus is, is good times. Like, yeah, she's very agile in the game, which super is super agile. It, it's liquid to control. It's so much fun. All right, so what else have you been playing, Jonathan? And be quick. We're 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 so deep. We're so deep. I picked up uh, Back for Blood and been doing some co-op zombie slaying, and that's super fun. Uh, it's got an interesting kind of like board game aspect to it, where there's a card system in it, and you pick up cards and activate them in between the rounds, and you can build your own deck. And the 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 cards that you pick up uh, give you bonuses, versus the game has a deck of of nasty things that happen to you cards that that it plays one before every round. So it's kind of an interesting additional mechanic. Been continuing to play New World. Did I talk about that last episode, Robert? Uh, yes, yes, you did. You talked about yeah. New World. You, you so, talked about just starting it and not much else. Yeah, no, New World is great. I'm like 12 hours into it, which I have not been this into an MMO in quite some time. And I'm having a really, really good time with it. Also, no subscription. That's kind of a good thing. And then finally, um, my buddy Jamie convinced me to download this game called Mighty Goose. So follow me here. Imagine if you will, a world where metal slug is taken over by geese <laughs> and ducks. And that's mighty goose. It's basically metal slug with geese. So, so there, there are, there are tanks and vehicles your goose can get into and start like shooting. legitimately. I drove around in a metal gear tank, but the, the goose was hanging out of the top of the tank and he was honking every so often as I destroyed <laughs> the living daylights out of everything. In fact, there's an achievement for getting 500 honks. I'm chasing uh, it right now. I want you all amazing. to know I will have this achievement. It must be mine. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's uh, pretty you, cool. I don't you, think it's very you sold expensive. Me. I, you have my interest. I'm, I'm checking it out. Mighty Goose is available for on Steam for $19.99. Put that on your wish list and catch it on sale, I'm sure. It is look, also available look, on the Switch the trailer, for $19.99. The trailer <laughs> even shows Mighty Goose on a motorcycle with a machine gun, just like Metal Gear. Oh, my. Or not Metal Gear, Metal Metal Slug. Metal Slug. Man, that's... That seems like a good Switch game. You, you oh, my God, it. it's amazing. I'm actually playing it on Xbox, but it doesn't matter whatever you play it on. It's dope. It handles really, really well. It's super fun. I'm having a great time with it, and it's completely irreverent in all the right ways. It's so much fun. It's, it's a damn good shooter, and it's got this weird, wacky world. Also, um, his little rabbit friend that you see in the trailer, his name is Chonk. That just pleases me. Uh, you, you had me at, at Metal Slug. I yeah, have to check this out. It's so good. So good. Mighty Goose, uh, go check it out. It's it's my my find of the week. Thank you to my my buddy, Jamie. Jamie, you're, you're out there in L.A. Doubtful that you're listening to this because you're not a board gamer, but you're the real MVP for the episode. That and Robert and Ray for showing me zonkeys and hinnies and the wide wide world of horse love wow that <laughs> sounded terrible got the shit out of that. you sure horse that you want that one genetics there? horse genetics i'm going with the wide world of horse genetic it's my final answer so you want to sit down with that horse in the candlelight night and look deep deep in that horse love's eyes and just say hey hey and the horse says nay <laughs> Well played. <laughs> well played. Game set match. 
Red Greenlee wins. <laughs> very, very well played. That was that was expert, actually. That was, that was 100% expert. Um, my question is, when do we get the right kind of wrong Hinny version? Like, oh, is that God. coming? There, there are so many... There, like, there's a subgenre of romance that is shifter romance, which is all about. Oh God! You know, really? Like, is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Oh Where yeah. It's a lot oh, of yeah. it. A lot of it's like werewolves. Uh, but does it have like the that. hot daddy sauce? I do not know if you combine <laughs> the hot daddy sauce with the shifter romance. Again, we we talked about this before. You have to be careful about crossing the streams, or we might tear a hole in reality. Oh my uh, God! Every time I click on a link, it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, so how about, Ray, we move on to... Well, it uh, looks like um, if you want to give Jonathan some more time to recover, like we could go to RPGs and I'll talk about uh, D&D and you can talk about Delta Green. Word. And Jonathan can just listen for a while. Well, I Jonathan played Delta, Delta Green, Green game. Week. Yeah. <laughs> he was there, so he won't shut up. <laughs> okay. And no, there's not going to be there's not going to be daddy love or whatever in <laughs> in Delta Green. Are you sure? Because there's a whole series. Okay. Well, I, well, it, it, I think you could probably come up with something, Robert, but it would not be like it is in um in the books that Jonathan's referencing. I think it would be a lot uh, a lot worse. Yeah. No. It it would just be the king in yellow staring you in the face and taking off his mask, and then you take a d hundred sanity loss. <laughs> Right, what Ray, about so what about what about if it was like this new book I found, uh, The okay. Grumpy Player Next Door, Copper Valley Fireballs, Book Three. Uh, so Ray, I don't even yep. know what's happening. There's a lot to unpack <laughs> in that title. How's your D and D game going, Ray? Uh, pretty good. We it's been a few weeks, but yeah, this is the the game that um you uh, let me a little bit of help with that you read my sort of my initial um uh, write up on. The players are so far uh, seem like they're having a good time with it. Like I sort of set myself in a situation where I couldn't really pace it the best. We also have a difficulty we're playing remotely and we only have about at most two hours to play in a stretch. So there's a lot of information that I want the players to be able to find out. And um, after one like quick tune-up combat, there really hasn't been any action <laughs> because it's like, all right, let's go and talk to this person and see what their position is in this town with what's going on. All right, now we got to go talk to that person, and then let's go talk to this person and find out what's going on over here. And uh, we are finally getting to the point where the the players have uh, a decent amount of information and are ready to take some more proactive action. So hopefully, when we play this week, um, maybe there'll be a little more going on. Um, I'm running into my own blockage <clears throat> that we're playing on roll twenty, and I'm not familiar with the system, and I'm really struggling with getting everything set up. But the adventure is going okay. Like some of the characters really aren't getting much done, which is my pacing issue. Like there's no opportunity to like let the barbarian really do his thing or, you know, the other one character that's kind of quiet. Uh, more outgoing characters are handling more of the interactions. Everyone still seems um, pretty happy with the story so far. So I guess I did a pretty good job on setting up something that's interesting. We're getting to where the action is. And hopefully at that point, more of the players will be engaged. But uh, so far, I think, pretty good. Well, Jonathan, you and I, we played one more session of Delta Green. Yes, we did. I don't want to say too much because we're going to talk about it on the the show. Yeah, that's true. That's the plan for like, next it, episode. It's, it's interesting how it's unfolding. I really like it. Um, 
I don't feel like we're that close to the end, but I guess we are. Yeah, yes. Yeah, one session, maybe. I mean, I... Yeah, the next part could be dragged out if you want, but I don't really see the point. One of the problems we're definitely encountering in that game is you guys have been exposed to so much weird for so long that the weird isn't weird anymore. (laughs) I either have to, like, out-weird the weird, which just kind of seems fruitless because i don't know but you'd figure that 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 would actually happen to these characters right like they're surrounded by this crap all the time so of course they're going to kind of gain a certain immunity to it like things are going to bounce off of them a little more yeah yeah well i i got cut off a little bit earlier than i wanted to because um because one of our players spilled water all over himself and he was just like i'm I'm going i'm done (laughs) (laughs) he was having a bad day though poor guy not feeling good We've all been there. Where I wanted to end it was after you guys go up the staircase, you find yourself on the stony shores of a dark lake surrounded by uh, shelled out ruins. Uh, Should you be on telling the shoreline. This? I've told my wife and, and that, that guy at this point, so I don't care. Okay. <laughs> That's where I, I want to end it like a scene later, but I got cut off, so I don't care. And, uh, and most importantly, Jonathan, up in the sky, the twin moons shine down upon you and uh, as do the, the, uh, the black stars and that's where i wanted to end it nice that makes sense by the way so. sh- shameless plug in the upcoming kobold guide to plots and campaigns audiobook you can hear an entire essay called otherworldly visions by steve winter talking about how you can add weird and strange things into your story and make it work so perfect for your uh, call of cthulhu or even delta green stories to give you some tips on how to add weird and strange things I like it. I like it. It sounds like so much fun. I wish I could play with you guys. <laughs> it's really been a, it's been a really interesting story. I w- we should get a campaign together with you, Ray. Like that would be super fun. I've been having fun with our descent game, doing voices. Yeah, doing voices in the descent game is fun. We'll talk about that soon, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it would be so much fun to play. Like I'm, I'm such an omni gamer. You know, like I like my D and D, but hearing you guys talk about like the Delta green and something that's going to be so different from D and D is just like, Oh man, I wish I could join in. Not that I'm like trying to force my way or anything, but, uh, but you know, it's, uh, you know, can't play everything. We only have so much time, but it sounds like you guys are having a a lot of fun and I can't wait to hear the, uh, the wrap up once you guys finish it. I like hearing about that stuff. It's fun. So what's next movies and TV. I want to go to movies and TV, movies and TV. All right, cool. So I, I finished Rose red with the wife. Oh my god. Oh my god. In a good way or a bad way? No, it was it was it was kind of a train wreck. My my family is now somewhat authoritative on like versions of The Haunting of Hill House cuz you know, we've seen, you know, Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House, we've seen the Robert Weiss The Haunting. We we went and saw the Jean Benoit The Haunting and well, hate hold on. I think that. it's important to say Flanagan's brilliant version of The Haunting. And and then Rose Red, which is essentially Stephen King's version of it. Like, yeah, it's uh, and I've read the book now. So, yeah, uh, Rose Red was kind of a dumpster fire. Like it had a lot of problems, like a lot like uh, the, the lady who played Bones uh, from that old TV show. She's in it and she like dies off camera for no reason. And then her ghost becomes this like seductress ghost that's trying to like, you know, ghost seduce people into dying. And it's like, yeah, yeah, just problems. So my wife had such a good time watching The Haunting of Hill House, even though she hates that stuff. We ended up watching The Haunting of Bly Manor from A to, a to Z. Which is brilliant in a whole nother way, but still brilliant. Yeah, I'll still say I think I liked Haunting of Hill House better, but Bly, Man- that, Bly, Bly Manor Bly Manor clicked with me a little more for whatever reason. 
but they're both yeah. they're both brilliant. Yeah, like if, if Hill House is a 10, Bly Manor's like an 8 or a 9. Like it's still well above the curve, <laughs> in my opinion. My friend was watching it and he said something funny. He said it's almost like the dark and gritty uh, reboot of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy's romance. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I can, yeah, fair enough. I like it. Uh, and then we watched uh, Star Trek Lower Decks that that finished up. Oh my God, the, that fin- like the last couple of episodes like nailed Trek. I mean, it was still funny, but it was like really classic formulaic, like TNG style Trek. And it was great. And I love that show. It's still very, 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 very good. And then, yeah, the, the daughter wanted to watch something spoopy. So we watched Arachnophobia. Uh, Cause I, I think you know, I have not watched that in years and I would bet that the Chloe might like that a lot. Yeah, it held up surprisingly okay. Like, I mean, it's got it's got some problems of the era, but like as we were talking about with Christine, like they had to actually do the the stuff. Like they actually had to get spiders, you know, like honest to god live spiders. Yeah. And fun fact, Jamie Heideman of Mythbusters fame, that was the first movie he ever worked on. Oh no kidding. The robotic, yeah, the robotic giant spider in that. That was his. So yeah, yeah, no, it was it was a fun watch. I, I would recommend it. it's um you know I mean it's a nineties movie and it's got some nineties movie weirdnesses like that not not dialogue so much like I don't know it's just it it does feel a little dated I don't know how to describe it but overall it held up okay so there you go probably because it was a little bit of a horror comedy it was a little lighthearted so maybe that aged it better because I don't know I got nothing and there you go that's what I've been watching it's Halloween man yeah. You've been watching the spoopy stuff. I don't know what we're going to watch next. We need to watch more spoopy. <laughs> uh, well, uh, speaking of that, I have been watching. Um, uh, I have been watching Midnight Mass, which is friggin' brilliant in every way, shape, and form. I that that stupid friggin' show got me to buy Neil Diamond. I am. I'm only <laughs> five episodes in, so don't. So you saw the Neil Diamond. The, oh the, yeah, the there's, Holy Holly. there's Neil Diamond all over the place in yeah. Midnight yeah. Mass, like all over the place, but. <laughs> Let me just say, there is some absolutely stunning acting in that show. There's an exchange between one of the main characters and a priest that lasts a solid 15 minutes. It's just two actors going at each other. And it's just, I mean, I rewatched it. Like, it was that good. It was just stunning. Just absolutely stunning. It was a mixture of the... The, the expert dialogue and the delivery and, and that both of these people knew their characters so well. I mean, it was just amazing. Just the, the friggin' clinic is what it was. It was just amazing. And, and just everything about it. Like, and I, I think I've, one of the things that I'm starting to realize about all of his stuff is that like he, he uses negative space as a builder of tension in, in such a good way. Like, your, your, your brain is frantically trying to see more than is there because he's showing these long, long angles that, that you know, present the background. And it's kind of neat because it has had like a double effect. On the one hand, it makes stuff look kind of like a Renaissance painting often. And on the other hand, it's convincing your brain that there's something to see there, but then there's not. And then, you know, you hold these conversations for a while and your brain kind of calms down. It's like, okay, fine. I guess it's not there. And then boom, something in the background. It's like, oh, so good. So good. Yeah. It was, uh, when we're watching hell, uh, or when we're watching Hill house again, uh, I was thinking about that for impossible landscapes, kind of the same thing because like 
one of the, the things that they say you're supposed to do in Impossible Landscapes is you can open a door and literally anything can be on the other side. And I realize that's the same tension that exists in Haunting a Hill House because as the camera slowly pans around and like you go and it looks down a very long hallway, like the fact that you know, because usually the house spaces, they, they build the houses one set. So like you, you kind of learn the layout of the, of the two houses in Bly Manor and, and Hill House just by watching it. And so like, you know, when the camera's about to turn around on a long hallway and just the, the tension and like the fear of like, what could, what is going to be down that hallway this time? Is it going to be something? Is it going to be nothing? But like that whole, like, you know, you're turning towards this hallway and anything could be down. It is something that Hill house does really well. So if you ever run impossible landscapes, like, you know, steal notes from that. I wish, I wish I'd seen it sooner to be quite blunt. I don't know how you translate that into role playing games, but whatever. Uh, yeah, no, real good. (laughs) Ray, have you watched any of Flanagan's stuff? Hill House, Bly Manor? No, I haven't. Midnight Mass? Um, I got to be honest, like, um, that sort of story is not usually what I gravitate towards. I can dig it if uh, if it's really good, but it's, like, I usually, those terrible things happen so much, and it's so tense that I'm just like, uh, I'm out. <laughs> it's, it's a little much for me. But uh, I could give it a try sometime, maybe. Okay, I t- tell you what, Ray, tell you what, let me let me give you the elevator pitch of at least the, the two haunting shows. So The Haunting of Hill House, it, it's horror. I mean, it does have horror elements in it, but it is much more of a family drama first. Yes, very much so. So if you like the family dramas, especially kind of dark family dramas because, you know, people die. Um, and But it's about this family dealing with death, basically. That's a real good show for that. It's really interesting. Uh, Bly Manor, on the other hand, is a love story with ghosts. You know, again, dark. <laughs> but if you if a love story sounds interesting, Bly Manor is a really fascinating show. Okay, probably would uh, probably give the Bly Manor a uh, try first. The thing is, like, like one one movie of horror, it's like okay, I can I can handle that because it'll be done. But a season, it's like as it goes on, show after like episode after episode, and things get worse and worse and worse. It's just like, oh, I'm kind of feeling my soul crushed and so it's hard for me to make it through like a, a season of a horror because i tried i tried once a little while ago i can't remember which one it was but i think it was a netflix one that i tried like oh here's this horror i'm gonna try this and i got two episodes and it's like no there's too much foreboding too much bad things happening uh i'm out not that i'll never give it a try again maybe i'll try some of these and uh, i'll see how they go but yeah give blame manner a go blame manner uh the Haunting Hill House typically had like three scares an episode, um, and Bly Manor is less than that. But Bly they're, they're, they're not generally jump scares either. Yeah, Mike Flanagan doesn't like jump scares, which I, I, there I really are some. appreciate. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, there's he, the he, occasional he'll, one, but it's not. Yeah, he'll he'll do it if there's a point, but yeah. he doesn't do it just to do it. Okay. So, well, we'll, we'll I don't know. S- give, give it a go. Like Bly, Bly Manor's good. It's it's based off of uh, the the ghost stories of of Henry James, who is a turn of the century, you know, eighteen late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds author. And uh, Bly Manor is, is certainly the the less terrifying of the two. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's not as much about the jump scares as it is about the 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 tension and the the foreboding and the um like the uh, the foreshadowing and it's like oh things are just gonna get worse. People are gonna die, and uh, like I couldn't, I couldn't even finish uh, Battlestar Galactica because that was getting too, um, too depressing. <laughs> um, if, if there's one thing I will say about this, is that there is a certain undercutting of hope in all of his stuff. Oddly enough, would you say that's fair, Robert? It's, well, it's horror, so it's fair enough. Like it, there, there's, like it's not like 
all is lost, if that makes sense. Okay. I will say that. How about this? Not none of those shows are as unrelentingly dark as Battlestar Galactica was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah, yeah. Not not even the slightest. All like right. the the body count in all of them is surprisingly low. Like it's it's much more about mood and mystery. I mean, because that's what ghost stories are. Like they're they're uh, classic ghost stories. Aren't so, I mean they're supposed to be creepy and scary and and you know have a little bit of dread, but it's not. It, it's it's about the mystery and about you know the other stuff involved too. So yeah. I don't know. well, I you know I'm not I'll I'll, I'll see. Like um, it looks like it's on Netflix. I'm gonna have to get our Netflix account back at some point because there's a bunch of stuff on there I want to watch. And so maybe I'll, I'll I'll check it out. We'll we'll put it on the list for the future. Okay, okay. I think you like Blade Manor. So give it a go. Anyway, sorry we spent ten minutes like trying to convince <laughs> you to watch them. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, wrap yourself up, Jonathan. We're, we're oh, way over. Well, uh, right. Let's see. We got. Um, I watched uh, finished uh, Marvel What If, which I don't know if you guys. I'm so behind on yeah, that. Yeah, so am I. So don't, don't, um, no spoilers. Okay, no spoilers. But the um, the uh, it uh, it surprised me a little bit with where it went at the end, and so I was pretty satisfied generally with with how it finished. So you should you should try to finish it um, because I think it I think it ended uh, pretty strong. And then I think we can move on. I said, wait, wait, no, wait, wait, one more, just one more thing. I've been watching Columbo with my wife. Um, OG Columbo? <laughs> OG Columbo with Peter Falk. Nice. Nice. Because it's on um, the IMDb TV, which is like free. And uh, I'd always liked Columbo when I was a kid. And uh, so when we're sort does of- Does it hold point, up? Yeah, it does. I mean, there's some, there's a few things that, but it's it's still fun. You know, it's, it was like 60s and 70s. And it's sort of fun as that period piece. It's funny to have Columbo getting- calls at like this office that he's at. It's like, oh, are you Columbo? Yeah. Oh, they're your office. It's like, oh, I told him I was going to be here. Instead of now, it's like, they just call him the cell phone, right? But they had to <laughs> had to tell them where he was so that they could reach him at the place he was going to be at. And uh, one time he's trying to make a call. Hey, you got a dime? You got a dime? I got to put it in the, it's like the system. <laughs> yeah. It's a period piece now. Aww. But it's still fun. Uh, it's still fun. Peter Falk is still great. Not everything always makes the most sense, but it still is is fun to watch the reveal and watch him trick the the uh, guys. And uh, so, yes, Columbo still still good. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch the new Leverage show on. I'm be, I, there's just too much to watch. Too much. Yeah, to watch. there really is. We are li- literally in the golden age of TV right now. Okay, Jonathan, we're gonna lightning around the remainder of your stuff. Blue Thunder is that the one with the helicopter? Yeah, like. Oh, nice. wow. I had to take a pause from it because I I put it on. I was cooking dinner and it'd been a lot. It's been probably 20 years since I watched it and I put it on and it's like within the first 15 minutes, there is some highly questionable like 80s stuff going on. And I was like, Oh, I got to turn this off. I don't want the kids to see this. Like they're hovering outside some lady's house and, and, and peeping on her with binoculars. I totally forgot about that. Really questionable. So I don't know. I'm going to get back to it. I will say this. uh, I watched about 20 minutes of it. And the, the one thing that stood out to me is, man, whoever shot that movie did a beautiful job. Like they, it, it is gorgeously shot, and they're also doing some cool stuff. You want to talk about like the the whole like, let's figure out how to to do special effects without you know without CG. I think they were doing a rear projection with them sitting in a hel- helicopter so that the rear projection would reflect off the windscreen on the on the chopper, and it's really clever and really convincing. It's really neat. So yeah, there's that. Uh, I sat down and watched Encino Man with the kids, and we had a great time. Encino Man ended up being just the same way I remembered it and didn't really have very many questionable bits in it, which was good, which was good. Only only really one that stood out. 
Uh, it fared a lot better than other stuff from the time period. Uh, and then um, what was the last one thing I had on the list? I don't have it in front of me. Westworld. Westworld. Yeah, I finally finished season one of Westworld. And that is, wow. Season one of Westworld, it's a perfect television season. From start to finish, it's absolutely perfect. It's one of the best things I've seen. I don't know if the rest of the show holds dark, up. Right? I haven't gotten to the, the next season. Unrelentingly dark. <laughs> but yeah, I, no, I didn't I mean, make it through the first absolutely season. Absolutely unrelentingly dark, but my God, like so well written and conceived and executed. I mean, it is just phenomenal in every way, shape, and form. All right. So all we got left is reading and video games, I think. No, so. board games. We already did. We already <laughs> Sorry, did board games. games. Sorry, board games. All right. Well, I'll start first, off reading because I did the last one. Norse mythology, I finished it up. Uh, Neil Gaiman is a treasure. Uh, the man knows how to write. Even stuff that I already know, he just comes at it from a different angle, and he's just an absolute pleasure and a treasure, and I love him. And then I started the Beastie Boys book, uh, and I'm about, uh, I don't know, 80 pages into it right now. Man, A, it just reminds me of how much I love the Beastie Boys. B, it reminds me of how absolutely sad I am that uh, um, Adam Yauk passed away. And C... That book is an absolute love letter to the hip-hop scene of the 70s and 80s. Absolutely a love letter, and it makes me so happy. Uh, I highly, highly suggest this book. If you even have a remote interest in in hip-hop of the era um, or the Beastie Boys, it is absolutely lovely. I'm having so much fun reading it. I picked up The Shining from the library, and uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, My... Chief complaints about The Shining, which were there were no characters in it, has been addressed in the book because they go much more into the characters, which hardly surprising. So and it's a ghost story like it's a very, you know, Hill House inspired classic ghost story, you know, where the problem is more. It was something I realized what I don't like about, um, like, say, The Haunting and whatnot, like a lot of modern ghost movies, like the house just seems to like kill you arbitrarily. And in the good ones and the classic ones, it's the location definitely is sinister and it's not good for you, but the, the ghosts and the location don't kill you. It's the location gets you or gets somebody to kill other people. You know what I mean? And there's a difference there, but it's good. It's, it's, it's important. Cause I realized that movie that you told me to watch, uh, the house on haunted Hill, the remake, I'd actually seen both of them. I've seen the original and that one. I'd forgotten about it cause it was on HBO and I watched it. That remake I, uh, is surprisingly watchable, right? You know, I haven't watched it. As a modern person, but apparently because it's Halloween, there's like, you know, I think there's five people on the list currently. So I'm All not right. going to tell it me when you watch soon. it and I will rewatch it, too. I actually have it on DVD. To be fair, it has been a number of years since I've watched it, but I have very fond memories of it being a surprisingly competent movie. I I remember it as as that the the ghosts just randomly kill people and I, I I do remember how I felt about that movie and it was not as good as you. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Well, let's test the theory. All right, all right. Well, I'm not going to get it anytime soon. All right, Ray, what have you been reading? All right, uh, a couple. Uh, one I want to talk about very quickly is um, I got the new uh, uh, recording uh, audiobook of The Hobbit by J.R. Tolkien, the classic that we all know and love, uh, read by Andy Serkis, who, as uh, you probably know, was a Gollum back in the Lord with the Lord of the Rings movies and has done a lot of cool stuff since. And man, he is amazing. Especially that book because it's it's sort of um, a little bit on the lighter side, <clears throat> although there's still, you know, a lot of stuff that happens in there. But he does the voices. Does he do his Gollum voice? He Gollum does the Gollum voice, and it is amazing. Oh um, he even has the part where Gollum is arguing with Schmeagol, and he does the different. You can tell the different voices from Schmeagol to Gollum. 
uh, when he's arguing with himself, and it is amazing. I also have downloaded the um, fellowship, his reading of the Fellowship of the Ring because he did the rest of the Lord of the Rings too. And um, even though I already had a Fellowship of the Ring audiobook, I am definitely getting Andy Serkis's reading of it because it is he was just so good. I'm so happy I was able to listen to that again. And one of my favorite books of all time. So highly recommended Andy Serkis's narration of The Hobbit. Uh, I also listened to um, a book called Cruel Sea by Nicholas Montserrat. Didn't really realize it as I was listening to it, but after looking at it later, this was actually written way back in 1951 uh, about the War of the North Atlantic uh, in World War II. This is narrated by Simon Vance, um, one of the uh, great narrators uh, out there. Does a lot of really um, excellent work and uh, no exception uh, on this one. And it basically follows uh, a group of sailors um, through the entire uh, English war in the North Atlantic from when England first declared war and they started launching um, new escorts to protect the convoys from the U-boats. Um, What's the name of that book again? I want to add it to my uh, reading list here. Uh, Cruel Sea by Nicholas Montserrat. And it follows them through and it's just, it's a fiction, it's a historical fiction. So like there's no real, none of the characters are like real people or anything. I'm not even, don't even think the ship's that are at the center necessarily real ships, although they might be. I didn't look that up, but it's such a great picture of of that that conflict and um, really great language. Like the writing is really good, and Simon Vance does, of course, an amazing job uh, narrating it. Uh, if you get the audio version, but really enjoyed it, uh, especially as you know, like I've enjoyed um, learning about World War II a lot uh, when I was younger, but never got a lot into that uh, North Atlantic conflict and what the the escorts went through trying to get their um, their convoys uh, where they need to go so that England could stay supplied through that early part of the war. And uh, man, it seems like it was really rough, especially early on when the U-boats had the upper hand and uh, talking about convoys where like more than half the ships are sunk and, you know, sailors are like, just dying left and right, thousands of them, like in these hundreds of ships being lost every month, just really gripping. And so, yeah, if you're like your historical fiction, you like World War II, you like naval stuff, I recommend Cruel Sea by Nicholas Montserrat. Yeah, if you like that, you should also check out The Good Shepherd. What's the guy's name? Forrester? Forrester uh, is the author. And that is a uh, same kind of subject matter. It's uh, a, a commander of a destroyer that's tasked with... Uh, uh, keeping a a um, keeping an escort force uh, on a, a caravan of uh, liberty ships going over to to Europe. It's intense. Mm-hmm. All right, and that's what I've been reading. All right, what do we have left? Right. Board games. Board games. Well, we can get a couple out of the way real quick because we've been playing them all together. Um, Seven Wonders, Railroad Inc. We continue to to beat each other senseless in those, and then Welcome to. We had a huge game. Like that was a huge game. So speak for yourself. I only scored 87 points. Peasant. Yeah. <laughs> As I recall, I didn't do so hot in that one either. But it was. I came uh, in second and I had 108 or 9 points, and like Gina just killed it in the last two rounds. She absolutely killed it. Just couldn't quite get. There was some of those, um, some of those plans were like really hard to complete. And so I just had to just keep on trying to plug away. I was so close on that one with all the parks and all the pools on that bottom row. I just needed one more pool and I would have gotten it. It was so close. Pools are a finicky beast, my friend. They are a finicky, finicky beast. Yeah. Haven't been doing as well on that game recently. 
the beginning, I was I was I was doing well, but you guys have caught up and surpassed me, and uh, now I can't uh, can't win that one anymore. Got to change my strategy. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then Ray, you and I all, uh, have been playing a lot of Descent, but we're going to talk about that in our deep dive, so we're going to skip that. Mm-hmm. And then I already mentioned earlier, um, I've been playing Sideshow Swap with the kids, and we're having a good good time. I've got a couple uh, to talk about. Well, one is uh, one that I've been playing on Board Game Arena with um, with Brendan and another one of my friends, uh, Brendan uh, 1E. It's the Lost Runes of Arnak. And I bring it up because it is one that um, has been compared to uh, a game that, uh, Jonathan, you and I played together a few times and you guys deep dove recently, uh, Dune Imperium, where it's sort of a deck builder worker placement hybrid where the you use your hand of cards to say where your workers go. This one, the theme of Lost Ruins of Arnak is that you're archaeologist exploring uh, ruins and trying to get idols. Um, you're doing, uh, there's a research track where you're researching, the, the trying to find the temple. Um, and while you go to these uh, sites, there are guardians that you have to overcome. Uh, and by spending different resources, and you get points for lots of things, including buying um, items that help you and uh, getting exploring and finding artifacts that you can use to give you benefits. There's a lot going on in this game. Um, it was up for the Spiel des Jahres and didn't win. Um, I feel like it's uh, it was the um, the uh, the uh, connoisseur game Spiel des Jahres, so not the regular Spiel des Jahres. It's definitely more advanced than I would expect from a Spiel des Jahres game, but it is a lot of fun. Comparing the two, I think I like Dune Imperium a little bit better because um, one thing that Lost Runes of Arnak does is it has something that I don't enjoy as much in games where it has like a fixed number of rounds and then you're done. There's like uh, five rounds that you play and then whoever has the most points wins at that point. And I kind of like games with a more flexible ending point where the players can end the game uh, rather than just having to play a number of rounds and then stop. But uh, it is a lot of fun. The art is fantastic, as I can see on Board Game Arena, because I haven't played the physical physical version yet. There's a lot to do. Definitely recommend giving that one a check sometime if you can. Uh, Another game that uh, I've played a little bit recently is called Spy Club, which is from a couple years ago from Renegade Games. Oh, yeah, Lost Dreams of Arnak, I believe, is from CGE, um, Czech Games Edition. Uh, Spy Club from Renegade Games. It uh, came out a few years ago. I remember seeing it at PAX Unplugged and thought it looked interesting. The art, uh, again, very good. The theme of it is sort of like a Hardy Boys kind of kids uh, mystery where you're trying to uh, solve a mystery. There's no actual deduction in the game, unfortunately, um, which I would have really liked, but it's uh, more like a, a set collection thing where you end up getting sets of the different uh, aspects of the mystery, the motive, the location, a uh, certain object involved. And as you get set to those cards, one of those becomes the aspect of the uh, mystery that you're trying to solve. And if you solve all five, get all five aspects, then you win the game and you've solved that part of the mystery. It's pretty simple and straightforward, one that um, I can play pretty well with my kids. It is full co-op with, you know, the one way to win, a bunch of different ways that you can lose and uh, things that um, sort of like you do a turn and then the, the, the culprit like does uh, moves around, um, bounces around a little bit and does some bad things. And the one thing that really sets it out, because it just at the base, it's pretty straightforward um, and um, would get tiring pretty quickly. But the game comes with these two big decks of campaign cards. What you're supposed to do is you play a five-game campaign and then based on the different aspects of the mystery that you solve, not only do you score, 
uh, based on whether you actually won the round or not. And uh, so you can get an overall score, but you unlock different cards from these campaign decks that change the game. One of them was like uh, a certain uh, card in the deck, you know, has like a different ability, or you can get like a different action that will trigger when something else happens, or um, the way that you win is different this time. And as you go through, you'll, based on what you get, um, and there's like a whole, these decks are pretty big. There's like a couple hundred cards that will change the game as you play it. So every game will be a little bit different. We're a couple games into a campaign. My wife and I are playing it. And, uh, and it's pretty good. Like the, the way it's changing up is, uh, is really engaging and I'm looking forward to see what comes next. It's sort of like, um, you know, like a, Hey, we want to do a legacy game, but we don't want to make it permanent. So here's a game that will change as you progress through the campaign. Uh, but you can always reset it and start over again. So spy club, uh, it's a good, good fun, especially for a family game, a family co-op. That sounds cool. I like that. And that's it. That's, that's my board games. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment, which means it's break time. And when we return, it will be time for our wisdom of crowds. Do you have a tabletop board game, miniature game or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, the segment where we talk about everything going on in tabletop news. I want to talk about your first one first, Robert. I've decided I'm I'm bucking the order here because this needs to be discussed, and it needs to be discussed right away. So, yeah, over over the break, it was reported that the Diana Jones Award has gone missing. The last person to have it was Alex Roberts, creator of Starcross, and she mailed it via the Canadian Post to Marcus Broadus, who was to bring it to Indianapolis for the uh, the most recent Diana Jones Award uh, thing. But he never got it. It is just somewhere. Maybe it's in a warehouse, top men. Yeah, but nobody knows where the award went. It's gone. Canada. Hear my words. I hold you in a very high regard. I would even perhaps like to become a Canadian at one point in my life. But this is unacceptable. Return the award immediately. Do not let this stain your national identity. The most interesting take on this I, I found is uh, James Wallace, who created the Diana Jones Award. Uh, he's been uh, he's been a little philosophical, trying to stay positive about it. He said, quote, are the singed remains of the Indiana Jones role playing game really what we want to symbolize us going forward? I would never have suggested junking the existing trophy and getting something else. But now that the old trophy is gone, it is perhaps the right moment to be looking for something else. End quote. But out of the ashes, Robert, out of the ashes comes greatness. Right, right. But yeah, yeah, no, I was, uh, yeah, it was weird. I read about that. That popped. Have up. they contacted the Mounties? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I legitimately need to know. Like, we need to get everybody involved. Does Canada have it? Uh, obviously, they don't have an FBI, but do they have like an equivalent? Is that what the Mounties are? Apparently, the uh, Canadian Post and the U- the UPS don't have tracking numbers on either end, so they don't they don't know where it got lost. Was it Canadian Post that lost it? Was it lost in the transfer to UPS or USPS? Or did the well? I know that the USPS has postal inspectors. Like it's like you know postal cops. Have they been contacted? I don't know. Call everybody. Because a loose sight pyramid of flamed and singed uh, role playing remains just cannot cannot go away. 
It's what it stands for. <laughs> and frankly, this is just, you're better than this, Canada. Although I would put a fiver that it was on the USPS side. I would actually wager a larger percentage of my income because that's a pretty sure bet. <laughs> Thanks, post office. First, you got rid of cool stamps, and now you're taking away our awards. Wow, you were you were salty about this. I'm surprised. I am. Su- I'm not surprised. I'm salty. I am salty about it. This is not okay. We don't have very many symbols in the board game industry. Like this, this symbolizes something. It means something. Yeah, yeah. Just wait until I tell you who won. But I'm going to add that to later. Also, why would they ship it via USPS? That just seems like a really bad idea to start off with. I got to say, there's a certain judgment there that was compromised at some point. Should have sprung sprung for the uh, additional tracking and the insurance or something. Yeah, was it insured? Do we know? No, we apparently no. Because maybe this is a heist. Maybe this is a caper. <laughs> uh, God damn it, I want answers, Robert. <laughs> wow, you were salty about this. That would make a good show title. God damn it, I want answers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, wow, I didn't know this would cut you to the core the way it has, Jonathan. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Ray, Ray right, how, well, how do you feel about this? Like, like, is Jonathan just a, a weird, like, outlier here, or is, or is, this, is this hurt? Uh, no, I think Jonathan's a weird outlier. Um, <laughs> you know, I get that a lot. Uh, I think it's, um, it's really disappointing. You know, the the winners of the award have still won it. It it does come back then around to, okay, if we're going to do something new, then it becomes a whole thing. It's it's not just this um, original creativity of what it started as is this sort of weird thing. And now it has to like, now it has to be meaningful in some other way besides a bunch of Indiana Jones role-playing game pieces. That's sort of like, I wouldn't really look forward to that. But, you know, the 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 Diana Jones is more than just a thing. It's It's an idea. It lives in all of us as the whole gaming community and losing this thing is not going to diminish the Diana Jones award. <laughs> I wish Diana I wish had Jones. music to like surge up behind you as you, as you're giving <laughs> yeah. your, your captain speech. <laughs> yeah. It means more than just the piece of Indiana Jones role-playing games that, uh, that was being passed around. So it's, uh, I think the, the Diana Jones will be able to continue undiminished, even though, the loss of that piece of history is disappointing, but who knows? It might turn up. Maybe the Mounties will find it. They better. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, go on. Well, some sad news from the gaming industry that uh, we we've now got a little bit more uh, confirmation on. Unfortunately, IDW Publishing uh, has closed down their games division. So in their Q2 2021 fiscal report, uh, IDW Publishing stated, quote, Tabletops Games as a line of business from which IDWP has exited. Um, Despite the exit, apparently the Twitter account is still active and is posting about a couple of upcoming games that they have. They have a Men in Blackboard game coming, a Batman the Animated Series game coming, and a Sonic the Hedgehog Crash Course game coming. Apparently, uh, these are all things that were already in production and already uh, approved and, and, um, uh, what's the word, funded from Kickstarter. Uh, but this does, of course, mean bad news for the Metal Gear Solid board game, which has been in somewhat of a limbo. Um, they have confirmed that they are no longer moving forward with that. Uh, and they are also saying that um, they are canceling Lock and Key Shadow of Doubt. And the creator of that game, Neil Kimball, has stated that um, he, he does not have the rights to the Lock and Key name, 
but that he uh, is looking at perhaps retheming the engine, and uh, we may see it with another publisher or something else. I know that uh, they've been struggling for a while, but this isn't the first uh, game publisher to to go this year because uh, Tasty Minstrel Games also has dissolved. It's strange because it's, um, you know, from all reports that I've heard, last year in general was actually very good for uh, game publishers as people were stuck at home with uh, extra money to spend and decided to buy board games. Um, but I guess the other foul forces, probably some of these uh, supply chain issues we're having, maybe are putting some pressures on some of these other publishers. Yeah, yeah. Get out of my head. I was about to say that. Shut up. Well, dive, diving into some some math here, um, I did take a look at the most recent quarterly posting that IDW had as a uh, you know public company. They that that information is available, and they did have a half million dollar loss for fiscal Q. Yeah, they have not made money in a long time, from what I've uh, heard. You know, if the business this part of the business was not doing well, it would make sense for them to drop it. the The disappointing thing is is that they own so many IPs. There might not be a huge clamor for a Sonic the Hedgehog game, but they've got the rights to it, and that fan base out there um, could be served by a healthy IDW publisher um, who is able to actually produce those games and figure out how to make some money on them. But uh, for some reason, IDW just couldn't couldn't put it together, and it's sad because uh, it's going to be really hard for those IPs to um, to see the light of day as a as a tabletop game now. Well, apparently they made a, a quote to Dicebreaker.com, and their quote is, IDW is committed to completing the following top-notch projects, Ghostbusters uh, versus Men in Black, Eco-Terrestrial Invasion, and Batman the Animated Series Adventures, including Shadow of the Bat, Arkham Asylum, and all the many packs that make up the all-in bo- bundle outlined in Kickstarter, and we will provide the same level of excellent customer service that our backers have come to expect. However... Due to the rising trade costs, IDW Games is not currently developing further games or expansions beyond those mentioned above. Well, when a shipping container goes for $22,000 for what used to cost $3,500 for for freight, I mean, I kind of get it. And it's also as long as the parent company is still there and viable. Like, if the market conditions change, there's nothing stopping them from firing it back up again. Maybe with uh, some new people in charge. And honestly, with the industry seeing the the large rise of, of Kickstarters over the past, what, almost 10 years now, I think it's fair to say that maybe a little consolidation is healthy for the industry at this point. All right, Jonathan Ray, speaking of that Diana Jones Award, the winner of this year's Diana Jones Award was Nib Card Games, a multifaceted company at the heart of the nascent Nigerian games industry. It designs and publishes its own game, but also manufactures for other companies, mentors new designers, uh, evangelizes games as a hobby, and runs Nigeria's first game cafe and annual convention. So all down to the tireless work of KC... Wow. Okay, I'm going to go for this. KC Ogbunagu and his vision of, quote, telling Nigerian stories through board games, end quote. So yeah, yeah. I didn't even know Nigeria had an nascent game industry, you know, going on. And that is bitching. That's really exciting. You get that, uh, get the hobby out there more, get more ideas, more games. I mean, you can already see there's people who see like the difference in style of uh, like the Japanese games that get brought over versus the American games and the European games. What kind of awesome stuff is going to come out of uh, the heart of Africa? So last episode, we mentioned that Wizards of the Coast was going to announce something new and scary. And here we go. Critical Role, The Call of the Netherdeep. 
a adventure module for the world of Exandria, the critical role world for levels three through 12. It is a multi-continental story that spans the wastes of Zoras and introduces the continent of Marquette and eventually plunges player into the nether deep, a terrifying cross of the far realm in the deep ocean, which fish with clear teeth and little dangly light bits you that will be coming soon. That will be the new story of the year, which is interesting. Doubling down on that critical role. Can you imagine that? It's only like the biggest thing ever. All right. My last story is the workers of Paizo Publishing have formed United Paizo Workers Union. 30 plus members of the Paizo have voted to form a union and are seeking to be recognized by the Paizo management. From the press release, though efforts to organize by Paizo's workforce had already been underway for some time, the sudden departures of several long-standing employees in September and the subsequent allegations of managerial impropriety by former Paizo employees threw into stark relief the imbalance of the employer-employee relationship. These events as well as internal conversations among Paizo workers, have uncovered a pattern of inconsistent hiring practices, pay inequality across the company, allegations of verbal abuse from executives and management, and allegations of harassment ignored or covered up by those at the top. These findings have further galvanized the need for clear policies and stronger employee protections to ensure that the Paizo staff can feel secure in their employment. And if you want to show your support, go to unitedpaizoworkers.org and buy a t-shirt or something. And wear it to Gen Con, because <laughs> why not? And you know what's kind of sad about this, all things considered? If, if if Paizo gets recognized, it means that, like, the tabletop industry will have had a union before, like, you know, computer games have, and it's much bigger and whatnot. I don't know. That seems kind of sad to me. But I'm glad, I'm glad for Paizo employees. This is pretty cool. It does harken back a little bit to, you know, way back in the day. I was big into video games. I was, like, in uh, high school and thought, oh, man, I would love to make video games someday. Um, and then that never really worked out and I heard about the conditions at the, the publishers and what the workers had to go through. And it's like, you know what, as much as I love these things, that's not something I feel like is, is okay. And that's not something that I'd certainly want to put myself through. And we have these, these hobbies that we're a part of, and we really, you know, develop an attachment to the different publishers I'm getting that sort of a little bit of that vibe again of just that um, discomfort of, um, you know, you imagine what it would be like to be a part of the team making the thing that you love so much and how awesome it must be. And you know what? No, it's not It's not always awesome. And some places it's not. And it's sort of like a little, you know, a little loss of that innocence, that naivete. But I'm just, I'm glad that the Paizo workers are able to come together uh, so that they can hopefully make Paizo the type of place that you know, we would want it to be. We, you know, a place that, you know, would you would want to work at to be a part of of the games that we love. So kudos to them. Well, I just think that the board game industry is especially about, you know, inclusion and being welcoming and and trying to to bring everybody together. And it's it's always good to see companies step up and, and fulfill that promise on both ends. And I hope that this this helps them do that, especially these companies that are so much smaller than like those big video game publishers. You know, it's it's got to be much more personal. You know, you know more people and you can interact with them at the conventions and get to know them. I want the people who work at the companies that that I'm fans of to be happy working there, to be happy making the things that I love. Well, guess what? It, this is a funny coincidence. IDW is back in my news stream and I didn't even realize this they were in this one. 
Simon has begun taking pre-orders for their Zombicide Ghostbusters pack. And the reason this connects to IDW is because it is the Ghostbusters comic uh, that uh, these packs are all about. There are three Ghostbusters packs available as a pre-order bundle. Uh, they will work with both first and second editions of Zombicide. And between the three packs, you get all four Ghostbusters spread across two packs. Slimer, Vin's Clortho, Zool, Gozer, and then in a standalone pack, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Vince Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer? Yep. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I think they must come with some some rules for the Proton Packs, although I guess that would work with the ranged combat in Zombicide, so I don't know. Seems like such a great fit. I bet, this, um, it I bet it'll really be a lot is. of fun. So that is available on the CMON website. All right, well, that brings us, of course... To the end of the news, which means it is time for a king in all things. This is, of course, part five in our 39-part series, A King in All Things, uh, where we are watching all the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of their release date, along with the occasional extra. So, in this part, we have the fourth film in the series. Oh, wait, this would be the fifth, right? No, fourth film. Salem's Lot was a miniseries. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. So this is the fourth film in the series. This is 1983's Christine. Directed by John Carpenter for a budget of $10 million, it made $21 million. You know, this movie's a bit of a mixed bag. <laughs> it's got good, it's got bad, and it's got inexplicable. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Oh, man. Oh, man. Should we start with the Let's bad? Let's start with the bad. <laughs> Holy crap, 1980s sex humor that just feels so wrong. <laughs> God. Wow. It's just yeah. so much unnecessary um unnecessary vulgarity and sexual humor. It's just it it just didn't need to be there and it feels like it doesn't need to be there. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's like I don't know, maybe this is like the aura of Porky's like flowing into everything i don't know when that movie came out but yeah like just just uh, it's like well that's all that boys talk about in high school and i'm like i, I mean i don't know i was a nerd but there was a lot of dungeons yeah, and dragons I mean, that, talk. that tracks porky's was 1981 so yeah yeah i mean i don't know about you but in high school because i went to i mean not in the 80s but you know in the 90s but yeah i mean i i don't know there was a lot of D D in that there was a lot of babylon 5 and and deep space 9 because that was that era yeah, not you know, not like, not a lot of talking about. So when we're we gonna, you know, get your uh, get your first sexual conquest get, with um, an objectified uh, woman, obviously. Is yes. <laughs> you open up the movie with that? Is that really where you want your movie to open? I mean, I suppose. Well, apparently in 1983, yes. The answer to that question was <laughs> yes, right? because uh, so many movies are like that. So, uh, so this is my thought. This is my thought. Okay, so like screenwriters, right? They write about what they know. So like circa, say, I don't know, 1960, 1970s, like maybe late 1950s. Is that actually how guys in high school actually talked back then? Because like that's all you had to do besides rebuild cars, I guess. You know? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. My frame of reference is 90s high school, and society had changed greatly from 70s high school. I know, man. We sat around in our flannels, smoked, and, like, we're depressed. Listening to, yeah, listening to Nirvana. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. All that teen spirit. 
So, mm-hmm. so even beyond that, um, which given, given the other eighties movies that are around it, I can kind of, you know, it's uncomfortable and I don't like it, but it's like, okay, maybe somewhat a product of its time. But there's also the whole conceit of the killer car that just makes for, oh my gosh, it's coming. Is that, is that Christine? That's my, is that Christine no, coming for us? on my end. <laughs> <laughs> I keep it real. I live by the tracks. <laughs> um, there's some plot holes that just things that don't, really took me out a little bit every now and then that, uh, you know, it's sort of an 80s horror-ish movie, so you know, you expect some of that, but it's like it's a killer car, so the victim is gonna run and stand in the middle of the road looking around wildly for it instead of, you know, going off or climbing up somewhere and getting away from it. Although I did like where that one guy uh, like, hidden kind of that, like, narrow alley, like, loading dock thing that was just a hair too wide for for Christine to get into it and just you know the car just shoved itself in there anyway and yeah, just but, destroyed itself but on top that of that that was good that that was that was like it was cool to see Christine do that but Christine was moving at probably about 3 miles an hour at that point the guy could have just like stepped up and ran over you know didn't have to sit yeah. there and let her <laughs> it's like that's true it's it, it, it shades of um of the uh, Austin Powers uh steamroller scene it's like get out of the way <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like legitimately, all he needed to do was crawl on the hood. Problem solved. Yeah, I, I think I saw somewhere, um, maybe it was the the book copy, something about like uh, acting, talking as if it's like a love story, like between a, a kid and a car. Um, and it's there's obviously no love there. It's all just um, obsession. I kind of wish, and this could have been Stephen King. I didn't, I don't obviously read the book, but like that there was, or in the movie they they showed more of a. Um, so sort of more of a connection from Christine to like uh Arnie, I think his name was, where like you can see like obviously the actor acting um that his obsession about the car and the car, like every now and then it'll it'll play a song, every now and then it'll go and kill some people. But you don't really see like the I didn't I didn't get an impression that the car loved Arnie back, right? Because they didn't like portray that in the movie. Maybe in the book that comes through. No, um, but they they do a little bit because like there was a couple of times where the the radio would come on and the very phrase of the song was like "I love you." Yeah, I heard that a little bit, but I mean, I guess that wasn't enough for me. I was hoping for. I, I don't think they did a good job portraying it. I think you're right there. You know what? All, all that I heard during those scenes like that, Jonathan. You know, the only thing I could think of was Bumblebee in the Transformers movie, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, is this where this came from? <laughs> like, like, seri- like seriously, like it, it played exactly like Bumblebee, and, and I'm like, wow. And, and that, that, that's what made me think, like, how influential is this movie with car people? You know, like, it's not. I am a car person, and I, I it, it's just as weird as it was the first time I saw it when I was a kid. Also it weirdly ties into rubber. Did you ever see rubber in 2010? The the wheel that kills people? Yeah, it's a homicidal car tire or, or a homicidal car tire that has psionic powers. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, this, this whole like taking an animate object and make it animate thing is just never really works. It's just weird. You know, you might be onto something though where, because... Like the people involved said that they got interested in it because of like, you know, America's fascination with the car and like just kind of subverting that. But I don't think they either had the emotional intelligence or the language to think about 
you know, flipping the whole thing where you, you know, there's a difference between being in love with your car and being like obsessively in love with your car and like in a sort of toxic, abusive relationship with your car. I don't know if that movie was made today. I think they would have more ability to tell a story like that, you know, and not just make it just cliched garbage <laughs> like it was because there, there, there was a lot of that. Like, I, the- I, I think that where, where they fail was not bringing the spirit aspect into it. I mean, obviously something happened that Christine gets obviously has, has been taken over in some way, shape or form by some spirit. And they're constantly making reference to the, the number of people that have committed suicide in the car and stuff like that. And they just needed something before the, the, the opening scene on the, um, the opening scene on the assembly line. I think if they had had just a, a, a brief scene showing some aspect of the car being graced with that, that spirit or like coated in the blood of somebody who kills themselves on it or something like that. Just something to tie it in. In the book, uh, that scene doesn't happen in the book. It's the former owner that whose ghost is in the car. Yeah. It makes more sense that way. Like that this, the opening scene really kind of ends up making it feel like this thing has been self-aware for a long time and just came out of bad seed. I, I, I will have to respectfully disagree, Jonathan. I, I think it's better that way because I watched Stephen King's The Mangler where they explained where the mangler got its taste for blood <laughs> and, uh, and it didn't help. <laughs> it, it really didn't. It, it made it just more goofy. Like, I think, I think if you're going to have a sentient car, like, I, I mean, it's, it's freaking magic. You can't get away from that. So I'd rather have it be unexplainable and just like, this car is just evil. Okay. <laughs> like that just happens. You know, it's like Hill house. Like, do we ne- really need to know why Hill house is evil? Or is it just that house is bad? Don't go into it. It'll it'll eat you and poop out a ghost. Like, don't do it. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I'm right in the middle of watching Midnight Mass, and it's really tough to watch something like that where they do such an excellent job of crafting in um, humanity and character building with horror to come to something like this where it's like it, it's like an automaton, you know? It's just oh, no, like a machine yeah. gone wrong. It, it's feels stiff and broken and and soulless. Yeah, that's that's where I that's where it got me too. That's why I was hoping to see if I we I think if we could have seen more of a connection with Arnie then it would have I think it would have helped with that. There's there's also There's also like Arnie comes flying out of the windshield at the end. Well, well that's, like that's one of the Christine wasn't protecting him. That's one of the 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 plot holes big enough for a 1956 Plymouth Fury to drive through that's in this movie. It's like Christine cares about Arnie. Christine wants to wants to take care of Arnie. Christine obviously has some sort of powers surrounding herself. And just like 30 seconds earlier, he slammed full force into this other car after driving the entire length of this garage and he was fine. And now suddenly he flies through the window and gets stabbed by the glass when he crashes, <laughs> crashes into this office where it should not have been as strong an impact. It, that, that was not the most satisfying way for Arnie to go for me. It was like, come on. Christine, Christine would not have let that happen if the conceit that we've had of Christine and her abilities so far had been able to hold through. And it's just like, oh, okay, now he's dead. And that's that's it. And, uh, oh, I guess Christine's still going. And we don't have, like, at first I thought, oh, Christine is getting power from Arnie. So that's what's letting Christine fix herself up. Because remember, Christine at the beginning was like a rusted uh, hunk of mess. Why didn't Christine fix herself before how did Christine get to be such a rusted hunk of mess of a car if she can fix herself? And then Arnie starts fixing her up. 
and now must have been the connection with Arnie, but no, it's not. It's something else. So why is Christine still, uh, I don't know. It's like, uh, just there's, it seems so close that they could have, could have made something that I think would have been like made more sense. And so been more satisfying and they just sort of missed so that they could, the car is still going. Uh, so we have to have that extra final, uh, final scene. The, the pity of the whole thing is that it's, this movie is not without its good points. Like from a cinematic perspective, there's a lot of nice camera work in this in this film. Well, yeah, John Carpenter knows how to direct. Yeah, no, and and he puts us all into it. And the pity is he's totally let down by by a crap script. That's again, you know, been the theme with the vast majority of the things that we've covered so far. Is the script is crap. Salem's not. I'm not talking to you, baby. Like you just keep doing you. Okay, you're beautiful. And I beautiful. I liked the um I liked the special effects around the car um fixing itself. Like for yeah, no, like that was really clever the way they did. Yeah, that. I mean, I at no point did I look at that and was like, oh wow, that's weird special effects. It was like, holy crap, that car is totally fixing itself, and it was I was like right in there, never taken out of the film. Yeah, Ray, you and I were playing a game last night, and and one of the things that we talked about was this comes from an era where special effects had to be figured out. It was not just CG everything. Now you know, during this time, they had to make genuinely be clever with a physical prop and figure out a way to make it look good. And this, this movie really does. And they did it. The thing is like, even along with that though, that doesn't mean they always did make it look good, but this one, (laughs) yeah, this, this, this one actually, this does a good job. They they did a good job. I like the special effects with it. And uh, to be honest with all the issues I have with the plot and, um, and the conceit conceit that we talked about before, I still had fun watching the movie. It was like sort of exciting to see what happens. I'd never seen it before. So it's, it's like, I was, um, I was, I was invested, um, watching. I liked, um, can't remember Arnie's friend's name, but I liked what that actor did with that character, which was sort of a non-standard character, you know, in those sorts of movies, the jock is usually a jerk, but in this one, yeah, no, it, 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 it buck tropes. Yeah. The jock was like a really, a really genuinely good guy, um, who, uh, was, you know, in a tough, tough position and trying to make the best of it in the end, like, I'm not itching to go and watch it again, but I'm not regretting my time seeing it. I, I had fun. Yeah, like this this movie is like a solid five. Like it's not hugely offensive, nor does it do anything hugely wrong, but it also does not particularly excel. Jonathan and I have started a, a new part of the segment, which is a King and All Things list of goodness, where we are rating the movies in, in order of their goodness. Currently, Salem's Lot is on top, followed by The Dead Zone, followed by Cujo, and followed by Carrie. So here's my question to you, Jonathan. Where does this fit into the hierarchy? Because I, I think there's no question it's better than Cujo, because for all of this movie's you know, ills... With the, exception of, with the exception of Carrie, everything is better than Cujo. <laughs> um, Cujo's main problem was Cujo was boring, and this movie was not boring. But but no. but, but I, I almost... I, I don't know if I if I would say this is worse than the Dead Zone because there's a lot of, there's there's a lot of problems with this movie, but it, it the Dead Zone dragged in several parts and Christine did move along fairly zippy and it never it never started wearing out its welcome. Where that happened a few times with me while I was watching the Dead Zone. I didn't have any of the wear, wearing out its welcome complaints that you did with Dead Zone. I think that this this movie commits one of my cardinal sins, which is having crap writing. Like it, it, I mean, it is, this is truly epically crap writing. The idea is interesting, and you could do some interesting thing about it, things with it. Like, imagine if you handed Christine to to like a Mike Flanagan. Imagine what he would do with that. 
you, there are characters to be had here. You can make the car be a very interesting character. We've seen plenty of inanimate objects given character in, in movies successfully. They just don't do a good job here. I think the direction's on point. Like, the use of camera work, the, the use of special effects, everything about that was a good, solid movie. But it, I didn't find it nearly as engaging as uh, Dead Zone. I don't know if that's the walk-in effect or what, but I'm, I'm going to have to put this just underneath Dead Zone. Not by much, but just a sliver underneath. Well, I'll agree with you. That's a good point. Damn you, walk-in. You're just so magnetic. Pulling me up. Pulling me up, up, up and over. Up and over the, the, the Christine. All right. Is there anything else we could say about this movie? I don't know. Ray, any final thoughts on Christine? <laughs> no, not, not beyond what I've already said. Like, I, you know, I had fun watching it. How do you feel where, where it sits on our hierarchy? Do you think it... I suppose so. Um, I was going to just, I guess I'll make the joke. Um, it's for me, unfortunately, it's the worst one I've seen. But on the other hand, it's also the oh. best one I've seen. So, <laughs> oh, what you know, I just realized all three of the movies that we didn't care for start with C. <laughs> Christine, Cujo, and Carrie. I just brought up the list and looked at it. That was the first thing I noticed. Watch out for those C names. Apparently. Well, next up, we will break this trend, hopefully. We have uh, 1983's F- Firestarter. I don't oh, wait, know, or is man. it 1984's? Like 1980s, 1980s movies have not been kind so far. Yeah, Stephen King felt, uh, I, I just read this, Stephen King felt that Firestarter was the worst uh, one of the bunch. So. Oh, great. <laughs> so we got that going for us. Have fun with that one, guys. Nice. You guys go. I'll, I'll look forward to hearing about oh, that one man. later. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. Why you got to go and say something like that? <laughs> Lowered expectations. <laughs> I don't know, man. After after Cujo and Carrie, like, I, my, I have no expectations. I'm, I'm, I'm in for the ride at this point. <laughs> All righty. Well, that brings us to the end of our King and All Things. <laughs> So that means it is now time for our year in the life segment, which is where we look at our way back machine and we go back a year to see what we were talking about in episode 97. One of my favorite episode titles of all time. Forgot my dice episode 97. Poke apocalypse. <laughs> we <laughs> we were taking a look at Cthulhu Death May Die by Simon Games. That game is still awesome. I really enjoy that game. Uh, the problem is that I need to get a, together a group to play through all the, the, the plot of it. Like I really, 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 really want to get into it, but it, it works best with a group of people. And I just don't have a group of people. Right. Is now. there a tabletop? Thanks, is there a tabletop simulator module for it? I, I don't know. Let's go. I'd play out. that game. I'd play that game. So last episode, I, uh, I said we watched tomorrow never dies. Uh, actually that was this episode because that was where Austin powers slotted into the bond movies was between. Golden ah. and tomorrow never dies. So yes, that's what we watched last time. So this was this was Tomorrow Never Dies? This one was indeed Tomorrow Never Dies. Ooh, what a mess. <laughs> I, I still like it. It's at least entertaining. It's certainly better than his subsequent films. You apparently had just watched Congo, Oh, no, sir. no. Tomorrow Never Dies wasn't a mess. I enjoyed Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, I, like I was going to say. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm thinking of the other one. Uh, uh, never, or not Never Say Never Again. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. To, uh, yeah, I don't remember. North Korea diamonds, airplane crash. Oh God, die another physics day. Physics don't matter. Die yeah. another day. I knew it had die in it. That's what threw me off. <laughs> While you're looking that up, other stuff we talked about was uh, Star Trek. A lot of Star Trek. I was watching The Simpsons. I got good news, right? There is a Cthulhu Death May Die mm. module. There you go. 
Uh, and I have not added it. So, yes, we can, in fact, play this. Just have to decide between that and Descent at this point, though. Yeah, I want to see. I, w- I want to see our little campaign through because uh, there's been some differences from the other campaign. That 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 that, that. you're talking next we'll second talk. stuff now. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Uh, anything else to say about that episode? I mean, no, Apocalypse. No. I can't even remember why we named it Poke Apocalypse. I mean, Poke came up. I can't remember why. I, I think I, I I I think that was just me. One of us having a brain fart. I, I mean, it'd be a hell of a metal album, right? I, I think it's actually the name of a Weird Al polka song, if I'm not mistaken. So I believe that's let's correct. Find out, or or an album, might be an song. Album I think it's a song, one of his polka songs. Uh, oh, there's there's like a annual thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Polk apocalypse is a thing that happens in Texas. Yeah, in Austin. Yeah, I think you have a new calling in life, my this friend. Before. How did I not know that this was a thing? Something has to make up for your state's it's, funny laws on textbooks, sir. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> just why you got to go and yank on the ripcord and get the lawnmower engine going? Because now I just want to chew on that for a while. <laughs> so mad at my state. I hate my state. Yeah, no, it's really nice. Texas keeps informing me how much I should not live there anymore. It's nice. It's good times. I'm, I'm happy to not be living in Texas, too. I'll just throw that out there. All right, Jonathan, play us out. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of this segment, which means it's break time. And when we return, it will be time for our deep dive. We'll see you in a moment. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And today we deep dive Descent, Legends of the Dark. Dear Lord, that was a lot of D's in one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Ray, you're the professional. Do Mm -hmm. do us proud. Read, Read the highlight. For years, your journeys have taken you across the fantasy realm of Terranoth, venturing into dark forests, shadowy cities, ancient crypts, and misty swamps. But your true legend is about to begin. Descent, Legends of the Dark, puts you in the role of a budding hero with your own play style and abilities. Together with your unlikely companions, you'll begin an unexpected adventure. An adventure told across the 16 quests of the Blood and Flame campaign. Throughout your campaign, you'll face undead lurking in the mists, demonic barbarians stalking the wilds, and even more terrifying threats. 
Descent, Legends of the Dark. Wow, Ray, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that worked out, buddy, because I, I realized I hadn't, like, really vetted that. I sort of copied it down and pasted it in without, like, having actually read it with my own eyes. <laughs> it was. You should, like, narrate books or something. <laughs> yeah, I'll look into that. <laughs> look me up on Audible. All right, gentlemen. I hear this game a series called Hot Daddies. That you can <laughs> no, no, put that back in the box. That's a bad Jonathan. Where's the squirt bottle? How's the gameplay? Saucy. <laughs> Ray, so how does the gameplay? <laughs> Descent Legend of the Dark is a, a dungeon crawl game through and through where you've got your hero, you got your abilities, you got your equipment, and you're on a map with squares and there's enemies and you move up to them and you roll a die and you and do you damage the daylights out of them. <laughs> yeah. You, you whack them. And that, that's how the game works. There's a lot of other stuff going on, like, uh, things you can search for search and, um, a lot of, uh, interesting stuff in the scenarios that we've seen so far that make it not quite just, uh, running through and murder hoboing your way through it. But, um, but at the basic, that's it. It is a dungeon crawl game. Yeah, there's there's a lot more story to this than um, than most games of this type, uh, which has always been a hallmark of the Descent series. But they've really leaned into it hard uh, because this is one of the Fantasy Flight app assisted games. And I say assisted because it's very much still a board game. The app doesn't know everything that's going on. It just knows some things and it controls the story and it controls all the bad things that are happening to you, which can be a good or bad thing, depending on on your experience. And We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so basically, uh, with the game, you start out with nothing in front of you and you boot up the app and you tell it how many players you're going to be and you tell it what, uh, characters each player is taking. And at that point, the app will start spitting out instructions at you, uh, while also feeding you narrative. Um, and that narrative starts the same, but can, uh, differ from playthrough to playthrough, depending on decisions that you make, uh, in the course of the story. And the stories are, are long. This is a, a long adventure, actually. Once you've followed all the app's instructions uh, and you get to actual gameplay, you'll start building out a map. And that map actually, and this is one of the neatest things about the, the physical box, the map is three-dimensional, which is awesome. There are floor components, and then those components can also fit into these um, small and large pillars. And the pillars can be used to elevate the floor and you actually create three-dimensional maps with terrain elevation and everything. And there's three-dimensional um, trees and, and objects that litter the world that you put into the world. Uh, and this ends up being an absolute stunning game on the table. Uh, we're playing it on Tabletop Simulator and it even looks pretty impressive on there. So I, I can definitely believe that on the table itself, it probably looks amazing the way it literally pops up off the table with all these different pieces. Now, uh, the rounds themselves are structured into two phases. There's the hero phase where you get to do your stuff. And there's the bad guy phase, which is called the darkness phase. In the hero phase, each uh, character gets to take a turn performing actions and you get uh, three actions, right? Yep. Three actions. One of them yep. must be a move. Your actions are pretty much just move. Uh, you can attack enemies or you can interact with uh, tokens and terrain and then there's some character-specific actions that you can take that uh, we'll talk about a little more as we, we progress into our, our dive into the rules. Uh, just to cover the actions in a little more depth, maneuvering is where you get movement points. Those movement points are asymmetrical. Every hero is going to have a different quantity. Uh, you're going to be able to fight, 
And the fighting is asymmetrical as well. All the heroes have different um, fighting abilities, which means that you roll different dice. Um, you can explore, which is where you're interacting with uh, the various tokens that go down or the different components in the terrain. Some of the, the terrain, by the way, you can actually interact with more than once, meaning that you can find potentially more than one thing there. Um, you can do, and this is one of the unique aspects of, of this, this is where it differs from previous versions of Descent. You can also do the ready action. So the hero board consists of a card for the hero, uh, which uh, again, these are all asymmetrical, a card for your weapon, and then as you progress through the game, you'll actually gain more cards, which uh, equal basically like uh, when you're playing an RPG and you're, you're gaining experience and you're gaining abilities, your abilities end up on a card. All the cards in this game are double-sided. And in the case of the weapon, the weapon actually slots into a uh, holder, a cardboard holder, and then there's another card on the backside that represents a secondary weapon. And so the ready phase allows you to flip that card to its other side, which can change abilities, change the weapon, change everything. And it's one of the only ways to get rid of um, fatigue, which is something that you generate during the game and it's represented by tokens that you place on your cards each of the cards can only take a certain number of fatigue tokens and if you need to take more after that then you start taking damage so the ready action is a very important action in the game finally there's going to be unique actions which are um hero specific and you'll 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 see a lot of iconography on these cards that will tell you specifically how it works and what it does and it's very very different from hero to hero what those look like did I miss anything on the basics of the, the hero phase, Ray? No, that's about how, how it works. You use your movement points to move along the map. You attack with the, the fight action and roll your character character's die uh, with the weapon that you have selected. Uh, then you can switch that weapon up with the ready. And that's mostly how it works. Well, then after all of the heroes have had a chance to do their turns, uh, you let the app know that the darkness phase is initiated. And that's when um, bad things start to happen to you. Uh, the app will tell you exactly what is happening. Uh, sometimes traps can uh, be sprung, and it'll tell you that you need to do what's called a test. And a test uses different dice from the attack or defense dice. And tests are resolved simply by making a roll and seeing if you get enough successes to uh, offshoot the, the quantity that the test is looking for. And those tests come up in a variety of different situations as well. The other thing that happens in the darkness phase is enemies can spawn, and uh, the plot can advance. And if enemies spawn, the, the game will also tell you specifically which enemy is being activated and who they are trying to chase down. So there's no, there's no question about um, you know, who an enemy is trying to target. It will tell you specifically, and then it also gives you some rules on when the enemy might get distracted by another player. During the darkness phase and during attacks from the enemy, you do have an opportunity to defend, Defense, again, is uh, a die roll, much like the, the checks that we discussed. The enemy will attack with a certain amount of force. Uh, you roll your defense die, and you try and counteract as much of that force as possible. Anything that gets through counts as damage towards your character. Now, running out of life isn't necessarily a bad thing in this game, uh, because you get multiple chances um, as you die, essentially, as you lose life, if you hit zero... Uh, the first two times that happens, you'll actually reset to a wounded state and you pick up, um, what are those cards? It's a condition, right? No, it's not a condition. Uh, I, think, a, I think they're actually, aren't they wound cards? Yeah, I guess it is wound card. And when you get the wound cards, that it has negative long-term effects on your character. You then pick up that card and keep it. 
Uh, and if that happens the second time, uh, you actually flip that card over to its more severe side and things get worse for you, but you're still not out of the game, which is cool. The other thing that can happen is uh, sometimes when enemies attack you or when traps are sprung or when things happen in the plot, you can pick up a condition. And these are pretty RPG specific conditions like infected, terrified. And these are represented by counters that you put on your card. And then there are generally in-game abilities that will let you ditch those before they have too much of an effect on your character. And that is the basics of it. Then you rinse and repeat and follow the plot. And uh, there's some really neat stuff with the plot in this game. All right, one question. The characters that you choose, like what, what are, in D&D terms, I guess, what are, what are their race and class? All right, so uh, let's run through them. Let me bring that up. Hold on. Let me ro- scroll up in the rule book here. Okay, I have, I have the characters and their, their classes. So we have Bryn, who's the human Avenger. She would be kind of like a paladin. Sort of like a knight. A paladin or knight, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have Varix. He's the dragon hybrid outcast. And he is... Um, he's, actually, he's probably sort of like a monk because he does like healing. Healer. Yeah. He's healer. Yeah, I think monk is definitely the closest. Um, you have Galadin, the elf huntsman. And he is an archer, long range. Uh, you have the uh, Cirrus, the human prodigy, and he's kind of the mage kind of guy. You have Keeley, the dwarf artificer, and she's a tank, basically. Um, and then you have Chance, the high ranks rogue. High ranks are the cat people. She's kind of like a thief, I guess. Yeah, rogue. You know, yeah, that's actually rogue. that's actually pretty on the nose. So there you go. That's your that's your kind of parallels. And the dragon hybrids, by the way, were created by the dragon lords during the dragon wars to serve as soldiers in their armies. They vary widely in appearance, but all have some resemblance to their dragon ancestors. Some demonstrate draconic gifts as well, whether it's the ability to fly or breathe like a furnace. They all appear to have long lifespans and some of the firstborn hybrids from the dragon wars are still alive 800 years later. I think mine had wings, but they got snipped off for some reason, which was bandaged. They're trimmed, yep, trimmed up. Yep. And then um, that's actually kind of one of the nice things about the package uh, when you get the, the the game. It comes with a rule book, of course, but then there's also a whole, like, eight-page lore guide in there that introduces you to the the world and the, the different races and how they all interact and, and kind of gives you a little bit of backstory into the, the game. Good job bringing that up, Jonathan. So how is that rule book and that lore book and all the books? Let's start with the lore book because that's the easy one. It's dope. It's just lore. That's it. Lore, 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 lore. It's uh, all the fluff you could want in one little eight-page handout. It's dope. But then the rulebook is adequate, but sometimes frustrating. Would you agree with that, Ray? Yeah, sometimes it's hard to to find what you're looking for, especially... It's not organized well. I'll caveat that I've only seen the rulebook on the tabletop cylinder version, so I'm kind yeah, of flipping through same. digitally. Well, it's, it's a, like it's harder to flip through the digital version because you got to click, click, click. I can't just like skip to the skip to the end as easily. Uh, the stuff is in there, right? Usually, when we have a rules question, we can find it, uh, but it takes some. Yeah, flipping. we haven't really had to do the the board game geek search. No, yeah, we haven't had to. The, the, what we've needed to find is almost always been in the rule book. It's like, oh, oh, that's where they talk about what the barricade does. Oh, okay. But, you know, it just like flip, 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 flip. Which, which, oh, which brings me to a, a, an aspect of the game that, that we should discuss. The game is very straightforward, but there's a lot of fiddliness in the additional rules. 
And by that, I mean the core rules of, of exploration and combat are slick and quick, and they're super easy to, to, to manage, and you'll, you'll get it in no time flat. But then there's always all these little, like, specifics around line of sight, how some stuff is line of sight, sometimes uh, some stuff is not. Then there's specifics around um, the way the enemies can move, and sometimes the enemies break their own rule sets, uh, which, you know, again, that's part of the asymmetrical nature of the gameplay, but uh, still, it, it creates some rules fiddliness. And then there's some other fiddliness with, uh, you know, remembering the what the different tokens that you you've got on do and and all it's just it's fiddly right is it just me or does it feel sometimes fiddly it does which you know honestly is like an aspect of a not an unusual aspect for a highly thematic game like this oh no not at all not at all this should not dissuade you just know this going in also the app will sometimes help you with some of those fiddly rules like remember this like uh, this enemy yes. like moves re- retreats two steps every time you hit it. Or remember, this is what the barricade does if you interact with it the right way. And there's actually a dope line of sight tool in the app um, where you know because the app knows exactly where the scenery is. You just select a, a box and it'll tell you whether or not you have line of sight to another box. So the the app helps, but it's not it's a replacement the for the that rules get fiddly and little things right. like that. And the app prompts you. It's like, okay, you've just started the darkness phase. Uh, so remember to take care of all of your, um, af- you know, affliction and and uh, terrify tokens and uh, or scar and terrify tokens. And then uh, also you can heal one uh, or take off one uh, uh, fatigue. So it does give you uh, a number of prompts, which in some sometimes like that <laughs> makes they talk about the fiddly. The app itself can be pretty fiddly. I'm not even working with it. And I can tell that Jonathan is struggles with it sometimes where it's like you want to do something, but, oh, I have to remember to go back up here and hit continue to close this dialogue box. It wants things in a very specific order. It does not do variation well. And it wants things when it wants things. And it has zero uh, flexibility. You have to work within its confines. It will let you go back. Like, so if you make a mistake, like, or like, no, wait, no, wait, I didn't want to attack that guy. I want to attack this guy. It seems like it's pretty easy to rewind. So it, at least it's got that going for it. Um, but like getting it to do exactly what you want to do seems like, at least in the way that we're playing, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what it looks like on Jonathan's side because I'm just seeing him uh, streaming the, the app screen. Um, it seems like it's not always the, um, the nicest experience to work with. No, it can be a little cranky about there's a drag and drop function when you're telling it which hero is attacking what enemy or which hero is interacting with what um, piece of scenery. And that can just, for whatever reason, sometimes it gets fiddly. So I don't even think we need to go over this because it's a fantasy flight game and it's descent. So the components are going to be. Well, actually, we do. And the reason we do is because this production like outclasses anything fantasy flight has done before and not by a small margin. The plastics in this game are jaw-dropping. Like, this is next-level plastics work for them. These characters look beautiful. And then the 3D terrain is dope, and, like, it's... Even the box that it comes in, they knew you were going to build your terrain and not want to take it apart, and so they provided you with a dual-layer box. So, basically, the small box sits within a large box on the bottom and then is slightly elevated, and then another large box lid goes on top, and you basically get two compartments in your box. And the bottom compartment is tall enough to accommodate all the 3D terrain all built up. So, Jonathan, how do they get all those great components in the box? 
Well, they get them in the box in, you know, lots of sheets of cardboard. And this game fails the Sunday morning or the, the, the Christmas morning test. And it fails it by about three and a half hours that it took me to build up all that damn terrain. Oh, my God. By the end of it, I was so sick of punching trees and putting them together. Like, I get it. And how about um, how about how much it costs? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is not a subtle, subtle thing. Not even remotely subtle. No, I think it's one hundred and seventy nine ninety nine MSRP. It is. It is an expensive game. That's how you get all those nice plastics and all those fancy uh, 3D terrain pieces and all those floor tiles and all those dice and all those tokens. And 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 it's not cheap. But you're but you're getting I I think as far as I can tell from not actually having seen the physical thing, it looks like you're getting, you know, especially when you consider the app and the really the the art and the the quality and time they put into that, as fiddly as it is, it it actually seems like it works quite well. Like we haven't run into any crashes. You can always rewind and do what you need to do. Like it's it's been fiddly, but it's never kept us from enjoying the experience that I can that I've felt. No, but I will say this, like about the price, about the price. Have you ever played Food Chain Magnet? I have not. That is a $190 game. And it's a good game. This isn't about whether whether or not the game's awesome or not. But it needs to be said that when you set it up on the table and you look down, you're like, what the hell did I pay $190 for? Like, it, you know, like you're, you look down and you just, you don't see your money. This game you look down and you see every set and it's on the table and it looks beautiful and it separates itself from the crowd and it helps with the immersion of the dungeon. All right. So we already kind of talked about this with the, uh, how fiddly it is. So beyond the fiddliness and the endless punching out of trees, is there anything else off in the execution? I'll, I'll bring up one thing here. And for me, it has to do with the app itself. This is something that I guess you're, you, we're generally used to with video games, but not so much with board games, in that the app hides enough of the mechanics that I, I, I'm not sure, like, you're not sure what you're going to, like, what's going to happen uh, with the, um, like, when you do an attack, and I've got, like, okay, I got three successes, I don't, I can't anticipate how much damage that's going to be. I don't know. Yeah, there's no direct correlation to hits and, and damage. And I feel like there should be like there's an armor value. Maybe if we spend enough time looking really carefully, we'll figure it out. Um, but sometimes we do like a ton of damage, and sometimes it's like, oh, is that all I did? And sometimes it's like, whoa, there I did an that armor much. Value. I know there is, but it if it fluctuates like all the time, like with no no discernible reason that I can tell. I sometimes you can tell because like you'll see that at the beginning of every enemy round, there's like an effect card that'll come up essentially, but the game doesn't outright tell you that. It just tells you if you trigger it. And that has positive and negative effects on enemy stats, like the damage that they deal out and the the armor. But the game just doesn't really do a good job of telling you when these things are happening. And I think that's the issue. Right. And um and following that also is like the app just comes up and says, okay, this enemy is attacking this character, it's move this far, it's this range, and the attack is ranged or melee, and then he's doing this much damage. And um, it just picks a character, and we don't know why. And sometimes it picks one character over and over. Um, and that sometimes is Jonathan, as in almost always Jonathan. Well, in our and game, then, it's like 98% me. 
like we we played uh, uh what three sections of the story now and in two of those three sections i've ended up on my last bit of life and you know i've taken two of those wound cards and ray has like full health on his yeah um and you know it's like in one situation jonathan did run ahead uh, on his own with only one action left and got two enemies focusing on him that wanted to come after me, but Jonathan was their only target. So he took some extra attacks that way. So there is some tactics there, but there's definitely one enemy that was just fixated on Jonathan, despite the fact that I was closer. Jonathan was further away. They'd already attacked him like a couple times and it just kept coming after him even when he was beat up. And it's like, come on, can we get a rest here? And we eventually had, we took the thing out, but it was really tough. And ultimately what it ended up being was there was a um, it, it's a balance issue. Like it just the the it doesn't self-balance. It feels like and, and it or and, and it's it's hiding like the logic of it. So we don't know why is picking one character over the other. And so it feels arbitrary and unfair, even if it's not even if there is some system that it's going by. We don't know what it is because it's hiding in the app. You know, as there's an aspect of that, like, oh, it's more of a mystery. There's less going on. You can't, like, 100% plan for things. It's like, okay, but I'm playing a board game here, right? And if there's a random factor, then I'm used to knowing what goes into that random factor that, like, okay, we rolled six ones in a row, and that's why it kept targeting uh, Jonathan. But no, we don't know if that's what happened behind the scenes. All we know is it kept on attacking him, and it, 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 feels, it feels off. I'll be honest, I'm mostly taking this attitude for Jonathan's benefit. I was fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't dare bother you. me at all. But um but I'm trying to make Jonathan feel better because he was upset. Well, but it, it, you know, imagine if you're a first-time player and that's your first experience. That's not a good experience. No, and you're just getting hammered over and over again and yeah, it's um it's like and you just don't you don't know you don't know why. There's no logic to it. It's it's very it's very frustrating to be on the receiving end of that, and it's not a great experience. And you know, one of the things that makes a good video and a good board game is balance, and it's you know giving as much as you take. And that's I don't know, and that's something that could so easily be patched. And that's one thing that that needs to be brought up, like because this is app based, anything that we bring up as a negative that is based around the app could potentially be patched out. Yeah, that's a, well, the only uh, one other thing. Um, that I guess I'll bring up really quickly is these levels are long. Like yeah, we, it takes us, game. it takes us two or three sessions to finish one scenario when Jonathan and I are playing. I, our, our first session, by the way, or our first scenario, by the way, uh, did you see what our completion time was on it? Uh, no, I, I forget. Five hours, 41 minutes for the first, Five for hours. the intro chapter. For me at my house, we'd have a real hard time getting through one of those. I mean, and like I, I, we play Gloomhaven here, and some of those can take a long time too. But this was this game would need a lot more space than Jaws of the Lion that I've been playing with my kids. It would take a lot bigger. I couldn't put it on my smaller table. It would be really hard for me to finish that without the little kids, you know, in one sitting. And then if I leave it set up, the little kids are going to do it, like mess it up. And then it's going to be hard to save like halfway through. Like, okay, let's save it. I got to take like a picture of this. Uh, set up and like take it all apart and then like set it all back up again. I think it'd be a real hassle. I I feel like like they they tr were trying to do a lot with the scenarios and I like that that but it takes a long time and I it might be too long for me like to actually play the physical game at home. All right, gentlemen, 
Uh, I noticed that you guys are playing this. Um, you seem to be only controlling one character, which is nice because in a lot of these games, if you have a low player count, they make you play several. Which I that's one like, of the benefits personally. of the app. The app does that balance for you. So I, I'm assuming you've just played it with the two of you. So recommended player count is more better, or the app kind of even everything out. The app evens everything out because I played it. I played it at home with the kids. We we played through the opening scenario once, and that was what four of us, and it was much the same as that. You know, I'll I'll say this: the online does slow it down a bit, Ray, because you're bouncing back and forth between the two apps, and that it's kind of okay. I'll buy that slower. Uh, but even then, uh, the opening scenario took us a good solid three and a half hours to get through. Um, but the app does a really good job of balancing how many enemies come out, because uh, we had definitely more enemy presence than uh, you and I do, Ray, on ours. Yeah, you'd hope so. <laughs> uh, but that said, we ran into some of the same weird streakiness where only one person was being targeted. So that yeah. seems inherent to the app for whatever reason. And you get to say one last thing about this game. Uh, Razor, I guess. Ray, go first. Despite like the few things that are off, like I'm having so much fun playing this with Jonathan. Um, we're we're doing different character voices, like uh, for the different characters, or sharing those around, and it's um, reading the stories parts out loud. I've always been a sucker for like a tactical uh, dungeon crawl game like this. I'm having a lot of fun with it, and really appreciate uh, being able to play with Jonathan uh, because he's far away, and the magic of the internet is is great. Yeah, this this game is it's expensive, but you really do get what you pay for, and you get a long adventure to boot. I do feel like it is worth the money, and if you're gonna buy one adventure style um, adventure style board game like this, I, I'd say that this is a strong contender for the, the the hands down easy choice. It's great. It's fantastic. I guess I guess uh, one one more or less thing is like as a comparison to Gloomhaven um, because it's also sort of a dungeon crawl game. Uh, the story is way better in Descent, but the Gloomhaven has much more is much more tactical. Is much you can plan a lot more. There's um, a lot more to think about rather than I'm just going to run up and attack because you've got all these cards and there's so there's more to think about with the Gloomhaven. Um, so I think I think if I had to pick one or the other, I'd probably still stick with Gloomhaven. But they're both fantastic. Descent. For more, if you, if you just like the um, the dice chucking and Gloomhaven, if you uh, like a more Euroish style to your uh, your dungeon crawl game, that's cool. I I would agree with that based on what I've seen of of Gloomhaven so far. All right, well that is Descent: Legends of the Dark from Fantasy Flight Games for retail hundred and almost eighty one seventy four ninety nine. I looked it up one seventy four ninety nine. Nice. So yeah, check it out your local FLGS or get on our Discord and play with us. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, which means there really is only one thing left, and that is uh, two sets of closing closing thoughts today because we have a guest. Ray, any closing thoughts? Oh, God. You didn't tell me I was going to have to do this. That in and of itself could be a closing thought. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Just do what I do, Ray. Just start talking, and then I'll let it out when you actually arrive at what you're trying to th- all articulate. right i do that all, um, all the time yeah so um closing thoughts i really um uh, appreciate you guys uh having me on again uh, giving me a platform to talk about my work and to uh talk about gaming um which is 
uh, always something that uh, I enjoy doing um, and I do a lot as uh, my episodes are always super long. And uh, my final thought is, uh, Robert, I'm sorry that you have to edit this thing. So thanks a lot, guys, very much. And uh, look forward to talking to you guys again soon. And Robert, any final thoughts? Ray, I double dog dare you to watch The Haunting of Bly Manor. <laughs> Ooh, I'll triple dog dare you. Oh, man. <laughs> You're just, you're just, you're just up in the ante, way too high. I'm gonna have to do it. We'll do, I'll do it one of these days. I promise. I'll get that Netflix and catch up on all the Netflix stuff I want to watch. Oh, and yeah, so if you don't have Netflix that. right now, that, that's so that's fair. Good. It's so good. Yeah, don't have Netflix right now, but someday I'm gonna come back around to Netflix because I still gotta watch Love, Death, and Robots season two and uh, the Queen's Gambit and a whole bunch of other Netflix stuff that's been coming out since we haven't had it. So we'll get there again, but uh, I'll watch it. I promise, and I'll let you know what I think. Well, that really leaves us with only one thing to do, Robert, and that is to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. Party on, Ray. Party on, Ray. Party on, Jonathan. Party on, Robert. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 